Ah, uh, mama, mama, we made it. Bling, 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 bling. What it, what it, what it do, though? <laughs> Billy is looking straight into Joe's soul right now. Right into the soul. What is good, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the motherfucking Mama We Made It podcast. By now, you should have already picked up your cell phone at least once, dialed your mother's number, and told her how much you loved her while Pac's Dear Mama is playing in the background. Stop. Visualize that. Understand Pac's the goat. And bring it back. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hawkins, the gardener. Is that correct? If you say so. (laughs) He's throwing the if you say so. Well, I have said so, and we're going to bring it back. I'm so excited to have this moment. Uh, Billy and I met on an offshoot chance where I left work when uh, 5-4 was doing a a little collab with Arsenic Magazine, where he is now. Awesome. It's cultivating it, watering the plants. Look at the little pretties as they grow. Amazing. Making sure the garden is in tow. (laughs) Freestyle. But... He's had such an incredible journey, and I really am so honored that you've joined us and are here to tell us and walk us through your journey. Billy Hawkins, welcome to the Mama We Made It podcast. Welcome. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Honored to be here. Your energy <laughs> off you. the chain. Appreciate you. Off the chain. Appreciate you. I hope that my smile like glimmers with the golden grills over here. Yeah. You know what's crazy? Don't tell mama. You know what's crazy? My mom like banged on me yesterday <laughs> and she's getting really good with texts and all these things and she threw like this emoji at me. Mm. She's like, did you do anything to your teeth? And I was like, yeah, I got gold grills. And she said, what? You guys can't see. There's a whole set of like animated gestures. Like the lights are on with these guys. You you, you need to go from podcast to YouTube. Is what you need to do. Uh, the mama we, we made a YouTube yeah, channel will yeah. be coming. 2017. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right now we just get the airwaves. Absolutely. You Billy, ears? you've had such a storied journey, right? Um, I really want to take it back to your childhood and kind of get in the essence of what young Billy dreamed of, what young Billy, his path was as a kid, whether his environment really nurtured that or it was, you know, nature within itself. Where, where, let's start from the, let's start from the basics. Nine months after your parents had that glorious moment, where did you come into this world at? So my mom was a public school teacher in Southeast Washington, D.C. Wow. So Southeast is like, like the, I don't know, the South Central of Washington, D.C. Oh, really? Interesting. And this is when D.C. was the murder capital of the United States. It's when there was a crack <sighs> epidemic and it was hectic. Wow. And my mom was committed to staying in that area and teaching. And she was a little bit of a crusader in that. Forget about teaching because she did that. Yeah. All teachers do that. Her whole theory of life is that these kids aren't going to be able to learn unless they have the basics accounted for. Mm. She believed in Maslow's theory that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so she thought, well, if they're cold, it doesn't matter how well I teach them, they won't pay attention. So she would do coat drives and so forth. If they're hungry, it doesn't Mm. matter how well I teach them. So she would do food drives for breakfast in the morning. And that was the environment in which I grew up. And the, the mantra that my mom would always talk about 
Because I'd ask, like, Mom, you're working harder than any of the other people. Like, why? And she'd say, Billy, I just have to fight to make sure that everyone has a voice. Those, mm. those are the words. That's how she would express it. And it always stuck with me. Wow. That's incredible. Right out the gate. Really? Were you there for how long? From zero to 18. Zero to oh, 18. Oh, so you grew up in D.C.? Yes, sir. Oh, so wow. were you, did you ever go to the school that your mother was teaching at? I did when I was four, three or four years old. Got it. Yeah. What was elementary school like out there? Now, did, so she, the school was in the murder, murder capital. Were you raised in, in that region or were you raised kind of like near the city and then your mom drove in? We would move around a lot, but okay. yeah, we were raised in that region and around it in northwest Washington, D.C., there in southeast, et cetera. Got it. How was that moving around a lot? Because I was a kid that, you know, moved around a lot because at that time, you know, throughout my childhood, my parents who loved each other dearly just couldn't communicate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So my mom would always, we'd always move and my dad would sit me down and, you know, give me the son, I love you to death. You know that your mom and I aren't getting along know that this isn't because of you, right? But I'm gonna be really close by. So my mom would always be shifting um, and I'd have to stay with her and be the man of the house, which my dad was like, you gotta be the man of the house now. What, what was that like for you moving around? I think the moving around a lot ended up forming a lot of the foundation of my personality. Mm. I was an only child and I would always go to a new neighborhood and sometimes a new household. Yeah. My mom would like put me at a household. Yeah. And you have to learn, necessity is everything in life. Absolutely. And for me, I felt this need, like I had to learn how to connect with other people. Yeah. And that's become a big part of my personality. I think it, it really started with that. Wow. And what was, what was elementary school like for you? Were you a good student? Like, what, what, was, what was life as a kid like up until before middle school? I think I was a dreamer. Mm. I, 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 Off I, the aunt, well, having a mother like that, yeah. of course you'd be a dreamer. I didn't, I didn't believe in the rules. Okay. I thought, fuck a rule. Like, yeah. a rule is like, that's the absence of imagination. <laughs> and generally speaking in life... Gem was just dropped. That was a diamond emoji that just Well, you're being day. sweet, but... Generally in life, like all the things, the greatest breakthroughs really defied a rule. Like it was a rule you can't fly. Like that was a known scientific rule. It was a rule that the earth was flat. Absolutely. It was a rule you can't go to the moon. Yeah. yeah. And and I always really thought with bold imagination and for better and for worse, and a lot of times it's for us, I thought, fuck a rule. Rules yeah. don't apply. Were you were you one of those rambunctious good students and the teachers were just like, he can't or was it, you know, you just were dreaming and, you know, school wasn't it at that point? I was a terrible student. Really? I, oh, yeah. I was a terrible student because I didn't, because I was a dreamer, I didn't focus. Yeah. I didn't believe in the structure of it. The teachers were kind, I think, because they thought he at least has potential. Like, that's a word that would come up. It's the actually a really interesting word. Yes. You think about potential what that means. Potential is that word, though. It's that word. And so they'd say he has potential, but he doesn't, he doesn't apply himself. That, mm. that was the vocabulary that people always use. Shout out to the world of academia in which application I know. of one's natural gifts becomes such an important part. How that, um, how'd your mom feel about that since she was a teacher? I think it, she had mixed feelings about it. On the one hand, I think she wanted me to apply myself. On the other hand, I think there was in, the neighbor, in this neighborhood a general expectation 
that was easy to exceed. Okay. So they're the... Was that you mean the bar wasn't raised that high? Yeah, yeah, the opposite. Like opposite. Yeah. If I if I didn't go to jail, it, it was a win. Really, that's that's insane. You know, my mom's a teacher too. Uh, she's taught in uh, Inglewood, California, okay. for the past thirty five years. What grade? Uh, she teaches a school um, that's basically for kids that have been kicked out of every school possible, and that's the last kind of school they go to. Um, she teaches eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, such a like formative year it's it's yeah it's really crazy but um it's game time eighth yeah, grade. it really is game yeah, time and it's, it's rough um and it's funny because she's like a four foot eleven like little jewish woman right <laughs> but she's hard like miss roush and, yeah she's hard and hard how what do you mean tough like, she, give me she, an example she doesn't, mm, she doesn't get it billy she just doesn't play no, but give me an example. Make that come right. I'll give you an okay, example. Okay, I'll give you an you example. Gotta, all, right, all, right. all right. So I got in trouble. I remember this so vividly. I was like in first or second grade. Mm-hmm. And I was in the auditorium at school. And they were doing the Christmas program. And my friend and I, uh, instead, like we were supposed to cheer for one character that came out and then boo for the other. And when it was time to boo, my friend and I were giving the middle finger and just like booing this dude with the two middle fingers in the air. And immediately they grabbed us and like took us to the office. Mm-hmm. Now, when he got sent to the principal's office, that was some real shit. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Like you're scared shitless at that age. And I was a good kid. I was always just a very good kid. Not always. Not always. But, it was, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I was never a bad kid. Right. Um, I just had bad moments. And I just had bad moments. I just had bad moments. (laughs) But I remember my mom, you know, they had to call my mom. My mom came and I I don't remember the conversation, but I remember she said to the vice principal, who is this dude, um, very stern, old, kind of like old school dude. And he said something to her and she said, I was born. She says, I might have been born on a Tuesday, but it wasn't last Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And my mom says that to the principal. And this like tall six foot dude and this small, you know, five foot woman. So she she's she doesn't mind doing those things. Yeah. And and just um, she was she was always just uh, a very, very tough, uh, but tough love. But tough. You know, you got to have tough back to being that. Yeah. tough too. I respect My mom that. is tough as shit, but like. There was such a crux in this system for me in which it was get good grades. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you do. Right. That oh. came along later. But like in, I remember vividly in kindergarten, there was this kid that would used to tease me like I was a chubby, chubbalicious ass kid. Right. Husky, whatever you want to call it. But I was athletic as shit. Mm-hmm. Literally had the snow cold build. My chicken legs still have not like developed any further <laughs> than then. Right. And there was this fucking bitch ass like bully kid in like the fifth grade at the time. And he'd always like try and like say shit. And I'm just this rambunctious kid even then. And he'd be like, oh, fat so this, that, and the other. And one day, my mom used to always like teach me when I was even younger, right? Outside of just grilling me on making sure my studies were good. But she'd literally be like, you know, if you ever get into an altercation this early, if somebody kicks you, you kick them harder. If somebody hits you, you hit them harder, right? She's like, do not t- stand down from anybody, right? She's like, you're you, you're special. If I love somebody, this story. If somebody messes with you, you, you have, and I was like, is it going to be okay? She's like, you do whatever you want to do. 
<laughs> one time, recess breaks off, right? This, I'm going back to class. This kid corners me, right? And literally, he was talking shit, but you could tell he was a bitch at that time even, that he couldn't do a damn thing. And I literally just like hit him in the nuts. Just like, because <laughs> that's, that, that's where I was at. That's where I was at. I hit this dude in the nuts so with all my might, just like, bow. He fell down, and, I, and, then, and then I followed up with a slap because I was just like, fuck, I couldn't punch him again. I literally just was like, whap, right? And he was like, ooh, and I ran back to class. Next thing I know, literally 15 minutes later, my heart is racing at that mm -hmm. point. And I don't know what the fuck it means that my heart's racing, but I'm sitting there just like, ready, like you know what I mean? But ready for the YMCA bus to come pick me up and me to go to the YMCA. Five minutes later, the principal comes in, and this is like old woman with the glasses, like mm -hmm. to a T, bro. You like, both in the principal's a principal office a lot. Yeah. All right. right? She comes in, talks with my teacher, and at that point, I know I'm in trouble. I'm like this. And then my kindergarten teacher, God bless her, I forgot her name, but she was like, she loved me, bro. She used to wear this choker. She looked like straight, straight like out of uh, that Halloween movie. What was it? The Witches, like back in the day with Bette Midler. What was that? Oh. Witches of Eastwick? Yes. Something like that. It was, it was, no, it was Bewitched or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Regardless. Yeah. She goes, Anoush, you need to go to the principal's office. I go there. I'm getting this lecture. I see, the, I see the kid in the office sitting down, and I'm like, oh, it's on, right? And I'm just scared shitless, and they're like, we need to call your mother, and they gave me the pink slip. Like, the pink slip was like expulsion right, in, right. in, like, a little kid's mind, you know what I mean? They were going to do shit to a kindergartner, but my mom came from work. She worked at Apple, like, literally right down the street. Side story, I was the kid that literally would forget his bag lunch at home, because I knew my mom would either bring me McDonald's <laughs> or Subway with three chocolate chip cookies. Oh, I see. You feel me? Like, I hit that, like, twice a week. Mom, I forgot. And she was, like, literally seven minutes away. And I knew that the McDonald's was hella close to the crib and the workplace. So we good. But she comes, picks me up. I'm fucking scared shitless, bro. My mom's stern, but she's, like, the ultimate thug. And I'm like this. I'm just like, da -da -da. She's like, what happened? Da-da-da-da. And I was like, mom, he was making fun of me and this, that, and the other. And, you know, she's like, what'd you do? I was like, he's called me these names and I hit him. And I was like, <laughs> right? <laughs> literally just, <laughs> I hit him. <laughs> and I was like waiting for a response. And she was like, great job. Threw out the high five on that ass. I was like, whoo. Oh literally, I remember this so vividly. I was like, does that mean I can go swimming? <laughs> She's like, you can go wherever you want. I'll sit out there with you. I'll take the day off. And, and that's what happened. But like, shout out to the mothers, man. Because like, yeah. all three of us musketeers over here, and I'm D'Artagnan, by the way. <laughs> but all three of our mothers played a very pivotal role because like, it's crazy to think about how much of an impact not only your environment has, but your home has. Yeah. And the, the way that things were, are expressed to you as a child from your parent and how they form you. Because yesterday, Lorenzo was over here talking about it, and his dad was giving him all of these life lessons, but the way in which his dad was presenting them to them, he always felt like he was coming at him until he was old enough to understand, mm -hmm. right? Um, but I think that it plays a really big role. You know, even parents don't know what the fuck they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Until you have a kid, you don't know what the fuck it's like to have a kid. Um, 
but shout out to the parents that really yeah. mold us no and it was interesting you know going back to kind of how um how it was you not being a great student but your mom's a teacher mm-hmm. if I, w- I there was a period i got bad grades and my mom would just give me homework like being a teacher oh you really you want to get back Here, here's more homework here's mm-hmm. more homework. just like the you know shout remember, out to the edu- educators remember those, like, in xerox, those, remember those purple xerox copies you ever remember, remember that shit no no, no, no. She had this purple. I remember it was like I'm purple copy. Bro, remember that. But that worked, you. and you got it together. And it worked, and I got it together. Yeah. And she drilled me. Um. So what was that like for you, having a mom who was a teacher and had the values that you said she did, like these very strong, caring values, like and to be the the student that you were. Well, look, there's a couple sides to it. Yeah. Side one is. My mom was a third grade teacher and a and a reading specialist. So she taught me to read mm. really early. I was hooked on phonics early, bro. Reading ain't everything. I get that. Yeah. But it's one of the first things that you need to learn. And then everything else that you want to learn is kind of foundationally built upon reading. So it's hard to do math if you can't read the math. Absolutely. Right. All right. And so because she taught me that early, I think I, well, I know I was a more advanced reader than the other kids Mm -hmm. that were my peers. And here's why this is important. It was a young age, whatever, like five, six or whatever it was. But my earliest memories were of, I can do it, it's easy. Just, just yeah. whatever it might be. I feel be. you. Absolutely. That becomes an expectation we have of yep. ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who struggles early, even if they're going to they're gonna blossom into something else, yes. they now get some idea in their head that they can't. Mm. And that's the most dangerous thing in the world. As that's soon where as potential you, comes in. As soon as you let the idea you can't seep into your head, yeah. you've lost. That's yeah. the worst possible thing that can Especially happen. when your educators see that, yeah. right? Because you're rambunctious, but you had potential. Mm-hmm. So the self-fulfilling prophecy for you wasn't ah uh, he's a goner it was he's a kid he'll get his shit together right. if he does right so there was always a chance like potential you know what i'm saying there's always that chance you know how we have like these dreams as a kid right like mm-hmm. elementary through junior high like what 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 were your dreams as a kid was it academia was it like the you know mom wanted you to be a doctor or a lawyer or what were you forming these, or were there any specific dreams that you held on to early on? It's a really good question, and I think as I was a dreamer, like every day I dreamt up something else, and it was all bigger than the next. There wasn't you were one just Walter Mittying yeah, just all over the place. There wasn't one specific thing I held on to, and it was a while in life before I like found like a drive and purpose. Got is it. the truth. But I, I was never, I never felt boxed in. I never felt like there was something I couldn't have, even though it might change day to day, hour to yeah. hour, what I was dreaming about. Yeah. Now it's it, it's wild because like usually I like to go. I mean, sometimes it's chronologically or not, but being that you're a dreamer, mm-hmm. right? And I'm making a bold assumption. If correct me if I'm wrong, but. Actually, it's not an assumption. I'm going to ask a question, which my assumption is based on beneath me that I wasn't going to show, but fuck it. I'm telling you now. Here we go. Was there a figure that, was it a mentor? Was it a student? Was it a coach? Was it a teacher that was able to see this dreamer in you, whether it was early, whether it was middle school, high school, that allowed you to really blossom into your dreams? Was there somebody in this life of yours early on in the world of academia because like 
to 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 understand the the surface level of your path, mm-hmm. there was a moment where you got really fucking thuggish with your shit. Right? There was a moment where you got really on it and you became really good. Whether it was when you went to a graduate program or whatnot, there was a time in your life where you buckled down and you decided, I'm going to be very, very... Like, your dreams became your reality and your reality were mere, was merely an extension of what you continued to dream. Mm-hmm. God damn, that was lit as God. Mm-hmm. I didn't even fucking realize that. But was there, was there a moment, was there a person where... You, in your youth, you pivoted? Yes and no. I, I didn't get my act together. I don't know what the language is. Yeah. Uh, I didn't you can get, say whatever you want to say. All right, I didn't get my shit together yeah. until later in life. Okay. I was probably... How old? I was in law school by the time I got my shit together. So di- Okay, so let's, let's, let's jump there. Okay. Um. Did you go to a prestigious law school, or was it just a law school? It's, most would call it prestigious. Okay, so so you started. So, but that dynamic shit together. Yeah, you would have had to have your. Sh- so, what is shit together there? Because to get into a prestigious school back then, was it you didn't have to really have your shit together? No, or? It's, a, it's a fair question. What do I mean by shit together? Sometimes you can get away with cutting corners. Absolutely. You're looking at the corner cutter know, himself. And I'm right? looking at you yeah. when I say you're, 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 Yeah, absolutely. I am, I am looking at you. You're looking at the kid that was in honors classes, knowing that all you smart kids can't present for shit your note cards or your Bible. Let me make your presentation lit, and you do the work. Exactly. So I kind of got by like that. Okay. And it wasn't until law school I was like, all right, let's do this thing. Word. That's where it changed. Okay. Why? What, what, what made that change happen? I'll tell you because school for my brain at the time was too abstract. Wait, mm. Where'd you go to undergrad? Michigan, University of Michigan, okay, Ann Arbor. Okay. Because whether I'm age 8, 12, 14, 16, all the way through, basically I had a set of problems in my life and those problems were just as bad whether I did well in school or not. And those problems were? Just whatever they were. Cool. And then I had certain things good in my life, and those things were just as good whether I did well in school or not. Yeah. So school seemed oh, trivial. to lack impact. It didn't, it didn't change my life. And I understand now as an adult that, yeah, it changed your life over a span of 20 years. Yeah. But as a 10-year-old, 20 years is like an eternity. Yeah. Eternity. And it didn't matter because I couldn't see the impact. I'm sorry. No, you, you didn't have like an influential teacher in, in high school or someone who like, you know, it, uh, that's such an interesting perspective. I got to stop there because like that, I, I've never heard that perspective before about school of being that, um, that aware that when you have the good things, you have the bad in things life. in life. Like happening and, and outside school, of these little eight school's hours. Whether there or not, those things still exist. Mm-hmm. That's that. That's a that's a very interesting awareness. But I go to you know I, I feel everyone has that one teacher along their academic journey. Yeah, I did. It wasn't someone who got me to change my bad habits early, but I wouldn't have been in a position. I had this one teacher. I remember his name to this day. It was Mr. Bundy, and I was 16 years old, I suppose, at the time. 
And thank you, sir. They just brought more water. They are very kind to their guests. Wait, um, did you say Mr. Bundy? Yeah, Mr. Bundy. What up, Mr. Bundy? All right. Is it Al? It was not Al. Okay, cool. Far from. You, you had, you had I to had to it. drop yeah, that. Yeah, I knew. I saw that coming. Yeah, you did. From um, a mile away. Yeah. So I wasn't going to graduate high school. It wasn't close. I hadn't, really? I hadn't bought the cap and gown. None of it. I hadn't been to class in a while. Um, and I was living on, I had my own apartment and the whole thing. Really? Hold the fuck up. Yeah, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yeah, no, bring it, bring it. I literally was like, okay, cool, we jumped there, like law school, we're gonna hit it. What happened in high school? Was it in high school? It was high school. Don't make me throw the fuck at junior high like you were talking about. No, 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 no. What happened in high school where you were on your own? Was it just like rebellion? Or was it life? It wasn't rebellion. Well, I guess, look, there's two parts to it. The first part is, why was I going to flunk out of high school? Why, why was I not going to class? Why was I not doing the work? Mm. You, you could call that rebellion. For me, it was just life was more interesting than the school. And again, school didn't seem to offer anything. I got a job or a hustle, I guess you really okay, say. So, yeah, I was so managing it, DJs at the time. Oh, see, so no, now I realize that the platitudes of like the flowery dreams is your hustle. So what was your hustle then during this? So it's managing DJs. Yeah. At what age did you start and how did this come into your life? What, where, what grade were you in? This was early in DJ world and... There was a kid that had graduated already, and he would come back and DJ the parties. And I remember he was really good. You he, were how old then? I think I was f- 15. Oh, yeah. Ninth grade? No, for me, that was 10th grade. 10th grade. 10th grade? grade. Okay. And so he would DJ the parties. He was really good. The music skills were like, it was on. And you knew? Oh, and everyone knew. Like, my, you know, the high school's yeah. small. Like, it's like a small, sure, sure. like, little, you know, people know what's up in high school. You Mind know, you, I'm glad we came back to this show. All right. We almost missed a gem over here. All right. And so he would DJ the parties, and everyone would know Curtis, I remember his name to this day, was DJing the parties. And I one day asked him, I was like, yo, how much do you get paid to do this? And he was like, oh, I don't get paid. I just do it for the, you know, he talked about one thing or another, yeah. his motives for doing it. He was doing it for free. And I said, all right, word, I hear that. If I paid you, could I get you to DJ a party? And he said, yeah, of course. Oh, and you hit the flip on him like that. And I said, all right, hold that thought. And then I went somewhere else. I'm like, yo, do you remember the dude that DJ Kristen's party? Would you pay this much for him to DJ your party? You are a thug, Billy. And I would take the spread. I love that. Yes. I would take the spread. Yes. Yes. Describe, like, did that, how long did that go on for? 15, 16, 17. So, I mean, so look, I'll answer, I'll answer your question. It'll come back to where cool. I think you're going, Perfect. which is, so I kind of thought I had the world figured out. Mm. I'm making my little bit of money, mm-hmm. which at that age and in that spot of the world felt yeah. like I was balling. I wasn't balling. I know people listening probably balling for real. Um, but you couldn't tell me anything. So I'm like, I have it figured out, you know, as well as anyone in my family did, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and school seemed irrelevant. And so I wasn't going to graduate. And this one guy, Mr. Bunny, he was my physics teacher. He said, hey, he was from, I remember this day, he was from Berkeley. He was really smart. Could have gone anywhere, but he came to this shitty area to teach. Wild. And he invited, he was like, really like, what do you say? Like a, a granola type, you know, like kind of like <laughs> open-minded yeah, and the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yep. And he's like, look, come in. I want to talk to you. 
He says, look, you're not going to graduate right now. I'm like, yeah, I know. I haven't been to class in two months. He's <laughs> like, well, we got your SAT scores back, and we think they're really promising. We'd like you to consider applying to college. And I remember saying, because I'm, I'm a nerd at heart, I was like, well, Mr. Wow. Bundy, you're the one that taught me about conditions precedent. And seeing as how high school is a condition precedent to college, of course oh, I'm not wow. going to graduate you. And he's like, well, look, I talked to your, your principal. I mean, y'all will be appreciate that because yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. all been in the principal's <laughs> office. And your guidance counselor and all your teachers. And we've agreed that we will graduate you wow. if and only if you apply to college. We'll only count that the work you completed. That is insane, though. Continue, no, that is no. insane. And so this one man sticking his neck out is what gave me an opportunity to go to college. Now, I was so dumb. I was like, I don't know. Yeah. But you college, you, they want to take then. my money. They're yeah. going to like charge me yeah. money. And right now I'm making my, I have to yeah. give up the money I'm you're, making. You're not going to school and making money. Why would you go to school, school and to pay, pay money? Exactly. Yeah. And that was my small minded thing. But I did understand like, well, there's little hustles and there's big hustles. And if there's some bigger hustles out there, let me see about that. Mm. So ultimately, I ended up taking him up on that. But that he was the reason that 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 I, I progressed to the next phase so of life. So 15, 16, 17, you were doing this D, DJ management at the yeah. time, though, or or it was the party promoter that knew the dude. Yeah, didn't the talent Someone didn't have did. the management? Yeah. You were just hitting the spreads on him. Yeah, twenty percent, thirty, <laughs> fifty, if you want it. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. How, how what? How formative was that for you, though? Because did you become the man at that point? Was was the the talent that you were representing, quote unquote, at that time, or facilitating deals for at that time? What what was what were you like then? Because you're not going to school, but you're not going to school because you know, like, look, I'm 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 making this here, and I'm doing all these other. I'm I'm with a different crowd. It almost seems to me that it was like. You didn't have it figured out, but you did from the standpoint of how are y'all so small-minded? I literally saw an opportunity, and I seized it, and you guys are still trying to figure out geometry? Look, it's a really good question. No, I didn't have it all figured out in that way. You, before we started broadcasting, were talking about your own communication skills. So you guys missed this. So you're hearing not me talking, but when you hear the other voice... It's a gifted communicator Appreciate you. who early on took a class about communication. And they mm. were saying, look, you're naturally gifted, but if you don't learn how to structure it, you can't achieve what you need to. Absolutely. Well, you were playing it by ear. You were just riffing. Yeah. That's all I was doing. Word. And, and, Respect. And, and the way that I felt at the time is, like, you could put me in any situation, like, I'll figure a way out. Got it. That was kind of how I felt. So knowing that, now this is gorgeous, man. Knowing that Mr. Bundy, hey, Mr. Bundy, shout out to you. I hope one day in this life I can meet you. If you're still on this planet Earth, I can meet you and give you a hug, mm-hmm. right? Do you still communicate with Mr. Bundy? Not still, but I went back. I imagine I'll come to it, but after I got my okay. shit together and was in a place where I felt proud, I went back and told right. him. Oh, wow. And, so and I'm going I'm I'm to Facebook message Mr. Bundy. He has one picture on there looking like <laughs> slim and trim from 87. You know what I mean? But how was college for you then? Like, forget how you got there, mm-hmm. right? Knowing that you seized that opportunity then, right? Actually, you know what? What made you seize that opportunity? Because you were apprehensive. 
I remember. So I was at first I didn't know if it made sense. And then I started leaning into this idea of maybe there's a bigger hustle out there. And I said, well, I might as well try. I guess the thought was I already have what's in front of me. So yeah. I can always come back to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't know what's out there and I don't want to miss out on something bigger. Absolutely. So then that that in and of itself, just the possibility, right? And the potential. Mm -hmm. Potential. Like I was just potential mm -hmm. pause. Was there. What what you see is that you got into Michigan. Yeah. Is that how it went down? Yes, sir. Letter came in? Yes, sir. Because I went to community college for one year. Mm -hmm. Because my parents said, my mom, side note, my mom when I was 18, I was a 4.3 student in, in, in high school. Senior year, I was absent 293 periods. Mm. All excused. Mm. Tell me something. Guidance counselor was my friend's mom. Mom told me whatever grades you get, you good. I literally would write notes in front of her, sign it as my dad's name. Mm -hmm. Call my mom. My mom would be like, okay, cool. Right? 4.6 and 4.8 in senior year. Yeah. My dad was the one that came. Side note. My dad was the one that double came. Double side note. Double side note. My dad was the one that double side note. You're damn right. My dad was the one that came to uh, the, the back to school night. Mm -hmm. And my AP calculus teacher. You heard I was, you dropped AP real like low key on you, right? Off top. <laughs> Off top. AP, AP. I set the curve on the first two tests. I believe. No, now that we're going there, since. You I'm know what? Saying. Triple side. No, no the saying. triple side. I'm this is saying. You saw how he no, dropped AP no, on you now guys. Now I will be Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception. Fuck with me, okay? Now we'll bring the triple, but the double side note, my AP Calc teacher, I set the curve twice, and I was like, over it. I was like, fuck, I don't need to go to this class. Like, I'll just be doing this. My dad, her, she was like, your son is so smart, so bright, but he's just never in class. And my, mind you, my mom is a fireball, mm -hmm. but she let me slide, and my dad's the calm one. So my dad could literally be mad at me for no longer than 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then he'd be like, it's okay, Bobo John. Okay, I love you. Okay. My dad was like, he tried to throw his thug at me. But at that point, at 18, like his son already was forming. Like I'll finesse around right. it, all that. He's like, you're not going to class? What is this? And I was like, dad, she's old. Like, do you? she was like, thank God for me. She was like an 80-year-old white woman. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I was like, dad, she's old. Like, you think she can see me? Like, come on. Like, she said I set the curves, right? Let's be honest. He's like. Okay, Bobby Jr. <laughs> Got by that. <laughs> you see Got how he does. One, right? But the funny thing is, and I'm not going to get fucked for this at all. Mind you, my senior year, I'd set the curve. I, I got senioritis three months in the senior year. Mm -hmm. Right? I'd be setting the curve. I'd be doing well in school. School was fucking breezy for mm -hmm. me. Like, fuck every smart kid in my class, right, that, like, tried to hate on me. Right, but I was getting it done. Side note, we had such an insane cheating hustle mm. in high school. Shout out to that teacher. I forgot her name, or I'd say it here just like with utmost love, right? Me, my boy Drew, my boy Colin, and my homegirl Amanda set up this ring, okay? We knew that there was one really smart fucking kid in the class. Always sat up front. He was literally in like the 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 second to last row in the front. <laughs> Dude looked like somebody that literally would go on to NASA, mm -hmm. right? So 
I'd be setting the curves, he'd be setting the curves too, right? But then he'd, like, I'd be getting a 99, he'd be getting a 100. So technically, I didn't set the curves. Fuck me. Sorry, guys. We figured out she kept the tests in her drawer, all of our tests, with the fucking key to the test. Mm, you want some Leonardo Catch Me If You Can straight shit up, now. Yeah. You're yeah. going from inception to Catch Me If You Can. I'm just multiple Leos right now. Don't make me get revenant on a motherfucker. Mm. You'll see my grit. You feel me? We realized that. So knowing that, after we, the one time we all set it up, we're like, all right, dude, look, we went to Radio Shack about walkie-talkies. And mind you, I wasn't as like super charismatic and ready to get into the thick of things. I was actually like, dog, like if I get caught, I'm fucked. Like my parents are going to kill me. So I, I offered to be the watch. Mm-hmm. I'm outside. I don't want to be in the room like knowing that. Like I'm not that thuggish, you feel me? But we figured out, okay, cool. We take the test. She kind of moses around. Literally, it was like we were like setting up a flock. Like, test happens. We know where she is and all that. When we were leaving, my boy Drew would be the last one out, and he'd unlock the window to the little trailer park of the class. Just one of them. Mm-hmm. We'd leave. We tried it this one time. We are like, all right, everybody's going to study for this shit. Mm-hmm. If this shit doesn't go through, we'll know. If it does, we on. Came back that night. We had our walkie-talkies, dog. Motherfuckers wearing ski masks, like, in Mission Viejo, California, bro. Broke into the class. Mm. Went back to my boy Drew's house. Literally spread. Dog, we spread the fucking tests out on the table like it was 250 grand in cash. (laughs) We were looking at it like we just hit the jackpot. Motherfuckers won. You made it rain. And then the key pops out. Boop. So we take the key, smartest kids test, and our test, and we're not stupid to like all just get magic hundreds, mm-hmm. right? One of the homies like was getting B's and shit. We're like, all right, cool. Like you'll hit that A minus grind, you got it. Yeah. We'll fuck up here, we'll fuck up there. We're not gonna fuck up the same. Like we we had that much intellect. Yeah, not like yeah, we yeah. got the shit and we're good. Right. And we just <laughs> that was our AP calc after that, right? And then Drew's girlfriend at the time, our ex-girlfriend at the time, took the, the, the class in history before us. And this motherfucking dude was the track coach, was like fucking one of the Spanish teachers. Like he was just like mm. that little short white dude that like ran cross country. You know what I'm saying? The cross country coach too. Respect him though to the max because he didn't know I was a fucking cheater in his class. But he loved me, right? This motherfucker didn't change the test. Verbatim. Mm. So we'd take the test. Like we, I'd miss the test day. I'd take the test home with me. I'd make it up. When you made the test up, understand we had to shit down to a science. When you made the test up, he sat you out on a desk outside of class, right? Sometimes inside. But when he moved us inside, what we realized was I used to take a number two pencil and scratch in the letters to the answers numerically on my pencil. Right. Oh, into the pencil. Yeah. Into the pencil, and literally would just flip it over. Oh, perfect. And it would see if it lined up because I knew enough. Yeah. And we were just on, but that—that's the hustle there. Yeah. Right. Back to back to Billy. Excuse me, but no, you good. Knowing that, you know what I love about this episode is that B will throw the thug at a motherfucker and be like, "No, no, no, no. Let me ask you a question without even needing to ask your bitch ass a question. Okay, without even needing to ask your permission. Yeah." You get into college. Mm-hmm. 
what's your feeling? What's going through your head? Like, what, what is the potential looking like for you at that time? I'm still not thinking of it in terms of potential. That's still, Perfect. like, my, my mind still wasn't wrapped around it. It was change. I remember mm-hmm. that was a big thing. This is all new. So like you I, moved out there, got a spot, like all this. Mm-hmm. I lived in the dorms. Cold as shit. It was cold. There was a culture shock. DC, <laughs> particularly my area, was very diverse. There are people from all types of backgrounds. Yeah. There's flavor, different types yeah. of flavor. Yeah. yeah. Michigan was not that. Yeah. You um, got that hazelnut mulatto, just gorgeous. I, I, bet, you, <laughs> I bet you were a good looking mo- Like, you're a great looking motherfucker right now. I bet you were one of those, like, golden kids. I was always the fat kid, mind you. My yeah. words got me. Everything. I feel you. They still are. Look at it. We here. We here. Mama, we we made it. Mama, we made it. I love you, Ma. So change is a part of it. Culture shock was a part of it. But I I remember this. I remember because freshman year, a lot of people have drama. They're calling home like, eh, it doesn't. Yeah. And I remember saying to someone, I'm like, yo, there's like 35,000 people that go to Michigan. (laughs) Real. I don't care if you're a goth, if you're a nerd, if you're a je- like. Yeah. There, you can find five people you fuck with. Straight yeah. the like, fuck that's up. A, if, if, if it's yeah. that bad, that's on you. Yeah, like, you're the problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's always kind of been my attitude. Like, you just make good from what you got. You got yeah. lemon, make lemonade. It was yeah. a popular drink, absolutely, and it still is. Yeah. How was the with those lemons? Come on, I got you. That's beautiful right there. How was your social circle at that time? Because I can imagine, you know, coming from high school, the conventional way is that you, you know, you make your friends in high school, you go Mm -hmm. through your classes, you go to college, you're kind of accustomed to that. You had such a unconventional high school route, and this college thing was more of like, let's just test this experience to see if it works. That must have not related to a lot of people who go to college in. You know, I think a lot of people go with the mentality of like, oh, we're college, you know, maybe join a frat, you know, maybe they're going to work on their career. They know what direction they're going in. Yep. Um, sometimes it's the first time they're alone. You said you already lived, had your own place. Yeah. Um, you know, people are going to the grocery store by themselves for the first time. Yeah. And that's yeah. a real thing. It is. Shit. So what was your, you as an 18 year old going into college, what was, how'd you kind of fit into that dynamic? There was drama to it. I was in a fraternity, which most people call a fraternity. Yeah. But the black contingent of college called it a white fraternity. Oh, so you were in a white frat. Yeah. And, and so there, and there was a lot. There wasn't this open mind. Like, cool, it's all good. Whatever yeah. you do, you you do yeah. you. We all do. There was what a little bit of like this, like traitor. I oh, really feel you. Really. Yeah. And then in the white frat world, it's a little bit like, who's this Negro? I feel. And it. so and so it was it was divisive in that way, and it was the. I hadn't really faced it like that. I mean, I guess when I was younger, I understood there was racism. I'd face racism, but it was maybe it almost seemed generational. Like I would get pulled over by the cops. You know, no offense, LAPD, don't get me on the way home. But like (laughs) I would get pulled over by the cops or whatever. But it was like that was adults. But like in my like 15 year olds, like everyone seemed cool about everything. Yeah. But it wasn't necessarily that way at Michigan at that time. It's crazy because I feel like Michigan's like hella waspy from the standpoint of like you got. The, the kids going there, like, they're coming in from lineage. Lineage and, and, and maybe some a lot of small towns in the Midwest. And so, anyway, I don't have beef. I'm not really saying this side, that side. But I'm saying it, there was, like, in the... This is a metaphor, not a reality. Absolutely. In the cafeteria, the blondes sit here, the brunettes sit yep. there. Yep. The, so, yep. the so-and-so sit yep. there. Yep. And I was like, I don't know. 
fuck all that. Like, I'm just going to say where I want to sit. Straight up. You went to candy shop and you didn't give a fuck if there was a yeah. chocolate covered almond that rolled up into <laughs> the fucking. <laughs> so when you, uh, in your first year there, did you know that this is where you wanted to be in the next four years? Or did you have thoughts of, you know, all right, I tried it, I'm out, or. It's a really good way to think about it. I never, th- I don't think I really thought of anything like that. Like once oh. I'm in something, like You're I'm usually it. like I'm in or, it, like I'm in it to okay. win it. Okay. So I think after the first year, I was like, all right, let's do this. And then I kept at it. What were your thoughts in terms of, you know, direction? Did you know what you wanted to major in? Did you know what you wanted to be or do? Or I'm pretty sure that uh, I fairly early declared a major in partying. And that, and that ended up you being... You were a wild motherfucker, yeah? I wouldn't say I was wild as much as um, I just did what I wanted Effective. to do. I just did what I... I mean, I just, you know, we here. We're living it. We, hey, you know, understand my smile is really ear to ear here. I'm just not going to say a word. He's just, got a lot of good energy in his smile, but no, I just, like, I did my thing. Nothing crazy. No, I didn't get thrown in jail I mean, or anything yeah. like that. That's what college, that's what college like, is. You know what college yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like that's, like, 90% of what college is. Absolutely. Is the social. In this case, it was 100%. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like college is about... I would say, you know... College, I mean, you can make it very academic, but uh, the bigger picture of, of, I think, how a lot of people use college is for, you know, your social maturity. Yeah. Um, you go through a lot of new experiences, meet a lot of different people thrown into different scenarios, and partying is a huge aspect of it. Mm. I mean, that's the time where it's, it's actually so important to, like, your social development, I feel. See how he he just made it seem acceptable, like you could do whatever you want to do. And like, no, but it's essential to your social development. You go and tell that to your mom. Mom, I had to do those shots. Yes. It was essential to my social development. If you didn't, it's like, how do you how do you uh, understand that experience? How do you like move on from that? How do you like. You have to go through those experiences. You do, bro. I mean, like, like a I lot feel. of a lot of people don't. Again, like no, a lot it, of people, like it, you got obviously it's all relative. Um, yeah, like so, life, yeah, people right. can have the the polar opposite, and that's totally fine and healthy too. But I don't think it's um, it, it's not one versus the other. It's just I think they're all all those experiences are very important into like the term of what education is or what the experience of college is mm. um, to who you are. You know. So going through that and partying the four years, how do you, how do you go from that extreme to law school? Can I can I cut in between yeah. that? Mm-hmm. I was gonna think of that, but like mm-hmm. I, wanted, I wanted to bring something back. Yeah. You were enterprising in high school. You found a DJ. The DJ mm-hmm. was hot. All this yeah. shit in college, and in a fraternity, you guys are having your annual parties. You guys are having your fucking just Tuesday. It's a party, mm-hmm. right? There are DJs coming through. You got frat money, regardless of black or white. You got frat money. That's like, mm-hmm. all right, cool. Like big event. There's a social chair. There's the pledge master. There's a pre- all this shit. Did you parlay your high school experience in booking talent or like bringing the party in to college, or was it just okay, cool? Like you had that experience there, but you're just majoring in partying. No, it's a smart question. I didn't. At first, I kind of had this, like, I got to give up the hustle and try to just be here at college. Okay. I'm going to give up the hustle and try to okay. be here. Not that it amounted to much because I was partying <laughs> most of the time. Respect. But no, nothing enterprising at all. I didn't okay. do anything worth anything in college. Okay. That's lit. Though I will say this, it's interesting. That's wild to me, but that's lit. Like Steve Jobs, you guys have probably heard it. Like he does his commencement speech and he talks about how like Stanford. if you just- 
Yeah. Talks, <laughs> so you know this speech. She talks about like I've watched you, that shit like you twenty-seven just times. Follow you, yeah. Like follow you. Yeah. You'll find you do these things that make no sense, but then later in life they start to connect. Look, nothing I did in college is worth a damn. But later in life, which you I'm guessing we'll get to, it it started to like, whoa, whoa, like these these pieces are fitting together, and I can see a picture of a puzzle. Later on, it started to make sense. He's breaking out a card. He's dropping it on me. Dot connector. Anoush. Shout out to Steve. Dot connector. I changed my title recently, right, just for the company's sake. Dot but connector. the essence there. And that's because of Stevie. Like, not to give it to you, but just the dots. Mm-hmm. You will never know where the dots land until you look back at them. When you look back at them, you see where they connect. But these dots fall, which is essentially what I think that you were experiencing in college at that point. Yeah, they weren't connecting yet, but it's just another no, random no, worthless no, dot. That's right. Like now you look back, you see, you'll, you'll see the, the dot, the lines just zigzagging horizontal down, up and down, but they're all going, no? I agree. And look, I don't know who listens and, and what people look for when they listen, but I will say this. Fuck, fuck anybody looking for something. So, sometimes I feel like, some people it just clicks early, mm. right? Motherfuckers be... Four years old. I'm gonna be an Olympic ice skater. Start yeah. ice skating at four years old. Yeah. Go to the Olympics. But they also have a dad that like will fucking or a mom that will just like they do. Ramp they got what off. they have. But I don't know. Everyone's got a thing. Yeah. But for uh, my point is, some people in their life get it figured out or get on a track or however you want to put it relatively early. Mm-hmm. My point that I'm making here is, if you're listening and you don't have it figured out, like it's not like everyone like Does. is fully baked at the same time. Yeah. And you could hit a point in your life where you're like, oh, I missed it. You never miss it. Never. It's never over. Oh, you bring an F. Scott the Fitzgerald in this game's always mix, still huh? going. And so, like, for me, like, yeah, I matured late in life, but when it clicked, it clicked. And so I just think that's, you know, something for everyone to think about in their own life and how it affects it. them. So yeah. back to back to Joe there, because I want I wanted to touch on that, because I don't want to miss another, like, no, you know what, like... I actually want to get one more before that. Get it, baby. Is you're that interrupting yourself because you're about to yeah. ask a question. Yeah. He interrupted you. You're like, fuck my question. I want to ask yeah, my other question. But that's the beauty that we have here. This, this is Uncle Joey right here. Yeah, because it actually made me think when you were talking about um, your bar wasn't set very high. True. Which is, it, it kind of ties into to how you approach these things. Mm. You know, I think about um, my life and also a lot of people I, I grew up around where there was this immense fucking pressure. pressure. I don't know he's going to say pressure. Yeah. It, like, I thought about Kirk Morrison when he was in there. He was so nonchalant about the shit, too. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. And and I, I don't know if that's, that's because a bar was set super high or it was just the social norm or mm. it was maybe the fear of, like, you need to do this so you can get a job and make money and survive. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a mix of a lot of different things. But... I think the the standard kind of way of doing it is like, you better go to college. We didn't, right. you yeah. know, if we didn't work this hard to raise you and, and get you this education and do this for you to fuck around or not. Like, there is that pressure there. In your case, going back to when you were young and you said, you know, the bar was, was low, uh, That that's kind of stuck with me throughout this past yeah. hour or so. Yeah. Because it, it actually, you know, I'm listening to you and I'm like, man, that's so free. You like have this very free mentality, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's—I don't know—it's uh, 
I want to say it's like kind of envious in a way because like you just don't hear about that type of mentality of you, you get this amazing opportunity to go to Michigan, to go to amazing university. And here I am you're fucking s- it up. Not even fucking it up, but you're so smart and you don't have that pressure. So your experience is much different. You know, I feel with that pressure, you, can, you can't jump all the way in sometimes. You know, like... Hundred, I said ninety percent party. You said a hundred. Yeah. Because, I, in my mind, I can't even mentally jump all the way. Right. In, you know, whereas you can, and I want to know how that mentality, if it stayed with you moving on to law school, or even till now, it, just to me, it's a free way of thinking, and um, or or if that changed, and if if that you know bar was actually set now. I mean, maybe let me give it a different framework. Okay. When I was managing DJs, I didn't do it halfway because I saw managing those DJs as essential to survival. Okay. That was like that was like what was doing it. That was rent. So it's not necessarily about freedom as much mm-hmm. as who and how who sets and how do we set the expectation about the thing that we pour ourselves into. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll go back to that original thing. To me, there was like this, there was life and there was school. And to me, one did not equal the other. Sure. So my life was good if I got my DJ hustle on and I could live right. My life was good in college if I had an active social life and I was with friends and I was happy. And it still wasn't at a point where whatever I did or didn't do in school was impacting life, right? We still weren't within that time horizon of, the cause and effect. Sure. Education takes so long yeah. to like you, you, you sow the seeds. You don't reap them until 22, 25 years later, depending yeah. upon what kind of track. Sure. And so I think I hadn't shifted in that mentality. And so I guess it made it easy to be what you would consider free, but it was really just around solving. Like I just want a good life. And I think that's what shifted in law school. Mm-hmm. Law school was the first time where I was like, yo, if I hit a book now, I can have a good life in a couple of years. I see what lawyers make. Ah. And then it clicked. Then so. it just clicked. Then it was like, I see, I, I'm just going to use a basketball metaphor. I can see the hoop. Now I'm going to drive to the hoop. I got mm. drive as soon as I could see the hoop. So did you so actually. What was the potential of law school then? What it could bring financially? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just be real. You're a man of yeah, potential. We didn't, have, we didn't have any money. And I remember the U.S. News and World Report had a <laughs> ranking of law schools. And they said, like, they had, like, the ranking, the state they're in, the tuition. What you mean? And they had median starting yeah. salary. Yeah. It's crazy yeah. to think, and I'm going to flash forward just yeah. for a second and come yeah. back. Because now I begin to understand... And it, it comes to play after this point. But now I begin to understand the 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 decision making that you've been able to make in your later years because of the potential. And now we go back. So law school. Yeah. Well, yeah, we could jump into law school. I mean, it's just it's fascinating even that that it's actually you don't really care about being a lawyer. You just care about the byproduct of being a well the opportunity but the byproduct of what being a lawyer can at that time yeah it was was, and and that became a thing because i remember i went to law school and my first year i was um at or near the top of my class and i made they have this thing called that's super important though a lot of no 
I don't know, not in life, not spiritually, but okay. but it was it was my grind for Got sure. It. Got it. Yeah, it must have felt good at the time. And they had this thing. I didn't even know what it was, but I remember like the first week of school, I went to the guidance counselor's office, and I was like, "How do I get a good job?" And she was like, "What's well, your first week? Why don't you just settle in and make friends? <laughs> and fuck friends? How am I gonna get Pull a up job?" The yeah. I did. Look, I did. I, I, I want that. Sort of, and she was like, "I don't know. I guess you could make the law review, and then you can write your ticket." And by the way. To this day, I remember those words. You can write your ticket. That was such a powerful Ooh. image of like I just pictured like this little like this little pink slip. Remember yeah. you talking pink slip of like, my name is Billy and I would like and it's blank. I guess fill it in. Ooh. It's like a powerful thing. Like actually, just to come back to that yeah. later, yeah. Because that ended up being something later in my life. If you can write your ticket, yeah. Now your life, the is dreamer important. can actually write it into reality. That's what she said. So I'm like, all right. So I go and make this thing, the Harvard Law Review, which, by the way, was boring. Yeah. Do not do the Harvard Law Review. (laughs) Whatever you do, do not do that. But I did it. Um, And I remember you find out over the summer. So second year of law school, we come back. And everyone's like, who made the law review at the cafeteria tables? And I'm like, I did. And everyone was surprised. But let's leave that to the side. You still partying, huh? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. and they're like, oh, my God, you're going to be able to get into anything you want. What kind of law do you want to practice? And I was like, huh. I don't know. And like, how do you not know? You just made the law review. You're at Harvard Law. You don't know what kind well, of. I'm still working on that. <laughs> I, just, I just want to make the paycheck. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I literally, I yeah. said that. Like, I don't know. I didn't, you know, money law. Do they have that? Like, which one has the most money I can make? From? I said yeah. that. But no, no. No bullshit. I said, yeah. like, what kind of pays the most? And God, I remember this kid's name. There was one kid, he got a Stanford undergrad, he was little, and he was really uptight. And he was like, that's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) The practice of law is a noble profession. Yo, his dad was a judge, though. Yeah, probably. Probably. I don't remember. If all you wanted to do was make money, you should have just been an investment banker. And, like, and he oh. said investment banker like it was like being a whore. The way <laughs> he you. said it. But I didn't give a fuck. I was like, well, hang on. You're like, that's a bad What's bitch. investment banker? <laughs> <laughs> and one of my other friends, Keith Lieberthal, was like, oh, it's 2X. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean, 2X? He's like, oh, you make two times as much money as law, and it goes up faster after that. And I'm oh, like, shit. And I'm like, well, fuck law. <laughs> Let me go you. see about this investment banking What was hustle. his name? Keith Lieberthal was 2 Shout out to Keith Lieberthal. Greg Chin was the... Greg Chin, was, I love you, was, but you were a hater. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I take a... Uh, I just want to jump in right here. Jump in anywhere. You're here. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> You're the guest, baby. Let's go. All right. All right. So what, what drove you to want to make a lot of money and I know that sounds like a, a silly question but no, it doesn't I, I thought about it a lot because we didn't have any money <laughs> but, but that doesn't necessarily trans um, that, that doesn't mean you need to make a lot yeah sometimes that means you make a little and you're happy yeah I feel you you make more than but you but I'm not that you. smart you're smarter than me I'm like well no let see, me ask you this if you're real 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 cold and I had like a heater and it had like three settings, like low, medium, and hot. You're really cold. Teeth are chattering. Yeah. Holding, you know, like yeah. hugging yeah. yourself. And I put that heater in front of you. Are you going to put it on low, medium, or high? All the way high. Yeah, but dog, the way you're talking. High, baby. No, but no, yes, but Billy, no, but Billy the way let you're talking, you want the Maytag. And you know, shout out to if Maytag ever made heaters, but you want the. Y- y- Product placement. Huh? <laughs> 
I feel you. <laughs> they, they, they got one here. No, but you, you want the best heater. I mean, I guess, I guess it wasn't even that conscious. Like okay. I'm saying, no, if I put the heater in front it. of him, he's so cold. He's not thinking. He's just thinking, I'm fucking cold. Full speed. He's going to full speed. Got it. So okay. I, I just always felt so fucking broke. Got I was it. like, well, what's the, I know I don't want this anymore. I've what's done the, this. What's the opposite of zero? Boom. I want but yeah, I, I talk about it because of financial education. Like, um, I, I don't feel like I really had one, right? I didn't really understand how to make money until I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Because you were in a band and you were an yep. artist. Exactly. And though you were successful My dad and toured, made me read that when I was it wasn't ago. necessarily about finances and managing It wasn't and so forth. until my mid-20s, yeah, uh, mid to late 20s, actually. I didn't even understand really the concept of like an asset and mm-hmm. expense. Like it just, I was like, oh my God. And that book literally changed like, oh shit, this is how you do it. And then I boom, everything changed. It was like a light switch. So for you, you know, just the desire to make a lot of money. I don't know if a lot of people actually have that. They're more focused on what they want to do as oh, a well, career. Hang on. Let me interrupt you. I remember be. that. I remember being in college and there was a book at the time, What Color Is My Parachute? And the really? book was about like self-discovery. <laughs> Read the book. It asks you questions. And you get to determine what color your parachute is, meaning like what kind of should you be yeah. a podcast leader? Word. Should you be a librarian? Yeah. And I remember being like, what color is my parachute? Fuck a parachute. What color? Rent, motherfucker. I need to be able to pay my rent and my mom's rent and my grant. Like... The idea of like what His do I like green would have seemed it. indulgent. Mm-hmm. It mm. would have seemed like like what does what, what I want have to do with anything? Right. Oh. What what do I, this should I need? Right. Right. Almost going back to my mom's Maslow hierarchy of needs. Like when you're thinking in terms of like survival, Ooh. it seems like indulgent to worry about like my preference between one career versus another. That's so fascinating. Um, because so many we're, we're taught to think otherwise we're taught to think like who do you want to be you know what do you want to be when you grow up that's a, mm. that's a phrase every kid hears right yeah, that's i right. want to be a fireman i want to be an astronaut i want to be a fucking rock star what do you want to be you can be anybody no one says how much money do you want to make when you're five years old you know I what get, i mean i hear i might hear yes or no i definitely hear you there's yeah. a mainstream american society no, that's it, the case just, that's why it's just it's and interesting. i'm like i'm like projecting in the like hip-hop culture a little bit yeah and i didn't grow up around hip-hop music that's not what i'm saying you're gonna like, see jacob the jeweler the first check you got yeah like hip-hop culture isn't like what do i want it's like how are we gonna make this yeah. money yeah. yeah when we get it let's floss yeah yeah and, and and again, I don't, I'm not a product of hip hop culture, but but I do think. And by the way, same, there's probably an immigrant culture. Like if you move, like there's some third world country. You move here from a third world country. You you take a boat or you take a plane. Or you, however you get here, you're evading a dictator or yeah. evading bad things, and you bring your kids. You don't get here and first thing think, what kind of job would I like? You're yeah, like, absolutely. how do I make money to take care of my kids so they can have yeah. a better life than yeah, me? 100%. And I think it comes down to maybe that level of security. I didn't have a level of life security that it was all good. Once it's all good, then you're like, oh, what do I want to do? What's interesting? What stimulates yeah. me? What's my bucket list looking right. like? But if you're like, it's all fucked up, then you're like, well, let's just get it all good. Let's just, you know. So I think that that informed yeah. my thinking, maybe. No, yeah, I, I wanted to, yeah, just take a moment to um, to talk about that because I think that's such a, a ground floor to your mentality of 
It's a smart question. Career. And I bet it'll come back into play later because you're mm. going to hear some things. Shit, I bet it will will come, too. Yeah. The so foreshadowing. Groundwork. Yeah. Hey. Shout out to Groundwork. Shout out to hey. Groundwork. Now let's take it back to 2X. Yeah. So you heard that. Mm-hmm. Did that, was that a pivot point? Was that a? It was a pivot point in like two different ways. Okay. Number one, I'm like, well, then what the fuck am I doing on this school. law bullshit? Yeah. This other shit is 2X. It's two times the shit? Why didn't the U.S. News World Report say anything about that? <laughs> <laughs> then I started, what magazine was I fucking reading? Then I started researching it, and I'm like, oh, well, if you want to be an investment banker, you should have gone to business school. Oh, wow. And so now I'm like, well, fuck, I didn't go to business school. I'm in law school. And you're what, second year? Second year law school. So I go and I see, so my friend tells me, but you can get a joint degree. Oh, you hit the JD MBA on it? Nah, I went to see the dean and I was like, sir, I understand that I've missed the deadline, but I need to, you know, get a joint degree because I want to be an investment banker because 2X. And I started telling him, like, I thought I had game because I'd had game with DJs and I had game with this and I had game with that. And homeboy did not give a fuck about what I had to say. And this old man, whose name I do not remember, was like, I can't help you. You missed the deadline, and the deadline is a deadline. And that was the first time that I hadn't been able to, like you used to, like hustle finesse my way shit. through, yeah. finesse, as you say. He just said no. And that was rare. I can't really remember another time. I'd wow. always managed. How'd you feel when he said that? A, like I got kicked in the teeth. Wow. But more importantly, it was like, I can fail. I can fuck up. Mm. I, better, I better get myself right sometimes you need to like maybe a little kid if you haven't ever put your hand in the fire you don't really appreciate the lesson your mom taught you about fire yeah you gotta get burned that one probably probably everyone that's probably like a scientific fact you probably can't avoid fire until you felt it that was that for me and i'm not trying to say it's so dramatic but i took that as fire and it it started to change that was the first time let's go get it you got told sorry Mm -hmm. you you came here Mm-hmm. Your choices led you here. Yeah. So uh, after that point, we just did you kind of come to an acceptance? Nah, that, fuck acceptance. There we so go. Then, there, there we go. go. There, there we go. go. There, there we go. go. I love Billy and his pauses. <laughs> I'm going to take that. Billy's pauses have been next question, and we're just over here like, okay, cool. So you. Uh, so did you just walk away and say, okay? No, no, no. So then yeah. I'm like, all right, business school. You have to go mm. to business school. So I'm like, all right. So I looked to see when the top investment banks were visiting the business school. And when they were, I sneaked in and pretended like I was a business school student. Respect. And I heard them present. Respect. And now it started to come to life. It Mm. wasn't even just a number. I started to see, I remember the guy's name, John Mack. He ran Morgan Stanley at the time. He came in with a pinstripe suit, bossed out, addressing an auditorium, maybe I don't know, 500 people yeah. in command. And I was watching this motherfucker. And I was hey, like, he's like, smart and successful and powerful. Well, and I could see just bossy, all yeah, of it. Everything. And I'm like, hell yeah. Mm. And so I go up to, my, to him at the end. I'm like, excuse me, sir. I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Billy Hawkins. I thought it'd be the right thing to do because I'm about to come work for your firm this summer oh, for the sure. summer program. And he's like, you know, slow, slow your, he didn't say slow your roll, but he's like, slow down, son. You know, <laughs> we're only going to take two kids from Harvard. And I'm like, that's okay. I'll even help you find your other guy. 
Wow. And he, I think he must have thought like, is this guy like someone's son? Is this like, you know, is this Oprah's son or like what happened? Like, cause to have that level of arrogance or aggression it would make no uh, rational sense. So I think he must have like, he's really polite. So yeah. he must have thought like, oh, he must be somebody, yeah. you know? Because um, nobody has that confidence. And even the, the wherewithal to be like, oh, oh two? I'll help you cool. find so, the other so person. So one's right. here. Don't worry, I got the next one. And so, and I think he didn't know what to make of it. He's like, uh, 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 talk to so-and-so, talk to so-and-so. And so I talked to so-and-so. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to come work. And I just talked to them all. And I finally got the interview. And I go in and I see I'm grabbing his, he has a piece of paper here. Yeah. I see them looking at my resume and I can see they're perplexed because they're probably looking like, where's his business school on his resume? And I just took the piece of paper out oh, of Oh, you hand. took it? No and way. I, Shut the fuck up. And I'm like, excuse me, but you're not going to find the answer there, but give me five minutes to explain to you why if you hire me, I will outperform anyone else in the world that you can hire. Ooh. I am at the top of my class at Harvard Law. And I will work until my eyes bleed. I will do everything it takes to succeed. And that's why you should hire me. And I just kind of laid it out. What was their take on that? Hold the fuck up. When you have Martin Greenberg <laughs> holding, hold the fuck up. Hey, Greenberg, hold the, you're his son. Like his nephew, I'm, I'm, right? I'm Greenberg right now. No, but that's on some ultra thug. Look. They're dealing with people that are begging for an opportunity and literally have their tail between their legs. Yes, sir. How may I? Billy Hawkins comes in. He's not a fucking business school student. He's. He, I just want to like point out these little like, fa- like factors here. Hold the paper though, Greenberg. Hold Stop. Up, hold up, hold up. Up. You guys can't see it, but they're really pantomiming this Straight shit the like legit. Up. No, but like. Kudos to you, right, for not being like, keep holding it, Billy. Okay? Yeah, I got you. You you think you're interviewing me? I'm checking you out and see if I want to come fuck with your firm. No, but you have the audacity. Because this is one thing I think in life, audacity, to believe at that point. Whether you really believed or not, you wanted something and you were going to get it. You said... What you said was there was this paper doesn't define me. And then you said, let me tell you why. I had an easy out because it seemed impossible for me to get the job. Got it. So there was no expectation there. There was no expectation. I think usually people, they have such a good chance that they don't want to fuck it up and get scared. (laughs) That's so real. Going back to the pressure. And the pressure for many people can limit them. Mm. Yeah. And I had nothing to lose. Like, what was I going to do? I wasn't going to be broker. So they couldn't like, and so it it, it empowered me to take a shot. That's something that became a theme later in life of like, fuck it. I'm going to go for it. What do I have to lose? (sighs) That's so true. What happened? I got the job. <laughs> I got you better that have job. gotten the job. Yeah, I got that job. I went there, and for the first time, I worked my ass off. I worked like you're talking about your 411 mom would want you to work. Yeah. I worked all the time, and I viewed it as like making a name for myself. I was learning. I was dealing with the top professionals in the world. I was on private jets. You name it, and I put everything into it. So you got that. That was the internship, right? That was the internship. So you... 
did you get your law degree, pass the bar, and then end w- up working? That was a summer internship based on my performance that summer. They made me an offer to come work there when I graduated. Got it. Did I gra- you have to still take the bar and all that? Or were you didn't just like, I take the Series 7, which mm-hmm. is a different thing, you know. That's for the um, SEC regulations. Yeah. For bankers, so I take series that. seven instead Shout of the bar. That's all right. It's all boring. Who cares? That's a. It's like a certain amount of tests that you have to take. Yeah. Yeah, but I did graduate law school, and then Got I came it. out, and I started working there full time. How long? How, how long were you there? Three years. How was that? How was that world for you? Because, what, what, from what I know about the banking world, mm-hmm. right, is that, and coming from SC, you got a lot of kids just trying to like, I want to be a banker, I want to be an analyst, and all this shit. And then you have cats like a friend of mine, Kyle Berry, that started out in the banking world, balling out of control, no semblance of what real life is whatsoever. Your hours, you're literally a fucking cog in the system. Your hours are atrocious, right? You're balling out. You're making more money than you can think of. You're able to just buy tables all there. But like... 95% 95% of the fucking non-Christian bales in American psychos, right, end up being like, that was a great learning experience, but I got to get the fuck out and utilize this knowledge somewhere else because I don't want to live this way, right? What were those three years like for you? Well, let's think about it. It's a couple pieces to it. Number one is you talked earlier, Joe, about like, cultural learning in college Mm -hmm. i didn't have certain basics i didn't there were two forks on the table and that one fork i didn't know what fork to use that that salad fork salad fork you gotta you work what's up i just got a fork and a spoon you work out and then come in is what you do yeah you put the napkin down I was ordering milk. I didn't even drink. I was ordering milk. I was out with CEOs at dinners at like the 21 Club. Is that what they call it? The steakhouse. Ordering milk? I had to learn to like, you can't Wait, order milk. So you milk. were the party in college acceptance. that didn't drink too? I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mention that part. But no, I didn't. When I said party, I didn't mean like uh, no, I substances. Know, I just I know meant that. like you know, music and no, so absolutely. forth. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so no, I was really square in that way. Incredible. Um, but I had to learn certain basic social norms around professionals. I went and bought golf clubs. Wow. Like there was just a whole set of things of like learning that game, learning that language. Mm. So that was one part of it. Another part of it is I didn't come as an analyst. I came in as though I had graduated from B school. I came in as an associate. So I had oh, analysts shit. working under me. Oh, wow. But those analysts actually knew what they were doing because they'd worked there a year or two as analysts. And I didn't know any of it because I had just gone in with this like, Grab, grab yeah. the resume. So every time I got called to ask for something, to be asked something of me, I'd be like, yeah, got it, got it, done. Consider it done. Click. Then I'd have to go get a textbook and like read about how to do it and teach myself on the job. And so wow. that was a certain thing. Then there's this idea of like, I was just all in. I, so we're in the, you guys can't see, but we're in this beautiful building filled with beautiful art, a view of Wilshire. Yes. In Los Angeles, California, Wilshire yes. Boulevard, one of the most famous streets in the world. <laughs> I'm looking out and I see a high rise across the street, kind of catty corner from us. You see that high rise, yeah. that corner? Basically, if this was my apartment, that was work. I bought, not bought, I rented oh, wow. a place you were right that, there. Because I'm like, I'm living this thing. Wow. I'm living this thing. I'm there. I had a sleeping bag that I kept that I could just sleep under my desk if I could only get two hours. I didn't have to go home. Like, it was like on. Really? Really, that's insane. really. You do in that world, but you and, had the 
wherewithal and to say, I'm well, getting in here. Well, that's what I want to ask. the first time, like, shit was real. Was it, it, it wasn't like school where it was like, I don't get how this bears. Nope. You get a bonus at the end of the year, and everything you do counts. So it was still the two. This is the season. It was more than two X. It was like it was five X mentality. It was like this is my name. And was that just what I do now? This is who I am. Was as that a professional. just you, or or did everyone around you have that mentality? Everyone around me worked their asses so that, off. That was the culture I worked there. harder. But, but, it was the but, culture, but, 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 but I'm like but I'm gonna here, outwork everybody. Point here. It was his name at this point. Yeah. Right? When did that switch happen? Where your name carried more weight than any of the X's and the mm. O's. That could have been put in front it of you. It always though. did, but in college, but my name was the fact that like I was the Rush chair of my fraternity. And in high school, my name was the, oh, Billy Hawkins? He's got the hookup at that party. He's the one that booked the DJ. And in life, no one, I mean, I don't know what you do. Like, I guess you could be a party promoter, but generally speaking, most people, no one gives a fuck if you had a good time on Wednesday night. No. Like, who are you? Yeah. And the, for, the, um, for the first time again, this wasn't school. This, this was no longer practice. This it's was wi- game It's wild time. how telling this is because like, it came out later. Like, shout out to me, like, throwing out, knowing the little positions. He and shout out himself. And yeah, I did. Just so you know. I did. I'm that, I'm that, I'm that <laughs> humble. New, new, new she does the new I'm that humble. Out. What Anoush just said, listen to it. <laughs> Yo, shout out to Rush myself. chair. So, okay. So even... But this this comes into play here, bro, because it wasn't just like, okay, I'm going after opportunities. It was still Billy was getting everybody into the party in fucking high school. It was still Billy was the life of the party. And cats were probably looking at you like you were a fucking rainbow unicorn because you didn't <laughs> need substances to party, but you were the life of the party. Like, I'm just bringing the, the drama. This is a dramatization, folks. And Anoush Moyne that's speaking right now is the actor, mm-hmm. okay? You didn't need, you were the fucking rush chair and you didn't need to party, right? And then you come here. So internally, somewhere in there, right, you're standing how you felt about what you were able to bring to the table and how you felt about how you wanted to live your life outside of just the money because the money gave you access at that point and making an assumption the access was just like more money. I have way more vast resources. If I'm wrong, correct me. You're not wrong, but it became tangible and I'll never Uh, forget. I'll never forget. Let let my loquacious ass speak and then you take the reins. Let's go. when I then went and bought my mama a house, like, and and I'm walking away, guys. Thank I'm, you, so much. mama. We made uh, that, and I just remember that's like, I can't. I mean, I I could cry now just thinking about it. Like that shit's real. Like it was a, it was a, it, it was a struggle many times. My mom always sacrificed everything. What I would call an immigrant mentality. I don't have an immigrant family, but a lot of my friends have been immigrants. It's low key a family mentality, yeah. though. Yeah. And and my mom, her her, she, my mom didn't think about her life goals in terms of what she wanted to accomplish. Yeah. She she was projecting a generation ahead, which I think is generally an immigrant phenomenon. And it was like, well, where was son, she from? No, because we keep she was from like, DC also. She was born there. Yeah, she okay. was born and raised there. Got it. And so for her, it was like, I if I sacrifice, then my son can have better than me. And, and so, you noticed that. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was like it was to an extreme. Like I couldn't. I had to learn. 
about the age of five, I couldn't ask for something because if I asked for it, whether we could afford it or not, my mom would get it and the lights might get cut off or something can like I, this. Can I just reach across Please. right here? Please, no, what? Take my hand because the same way that you felt about that, I also, and I'm sure Joe had this in him too, but uh, yeah, I also knew the sacrifices mm -hmm. that my parents made, the love that they had for one another, their inability to communicate. I wasn't the victim in the fact that they got back together and broke up 50 different times. I actually sat my parents down and divorced them when I was 16. Told them to find their happiness and go do that or I'll leave the fucking crib, right? But also seeing my dad being one of the biggest general contractors in the Bay Area, right? And my mom moving down to the valley because she hated the bay. Mm -hmm. And my dad, like, for a year after that, my dad, like, I'd always go there, have barbecues at his house, have all the friends come over. He's, like, literally master chef. All the friends come over. We're playing N64, getting it in. But my dad, what I didn't realize, he hated, like, only having one weekend out of the month with me. Yeah. And he was a general contractor doing all the homes in Palo Alto, Atherton, everything like That's year, major. year backed up. Yeah. But when you're a contractor like that, your business is your clientele. Mm -hmm. But my dad, wanting to be closer to me, literally left everything there, moved out. We were in the Woodland Hills in the summit. My dad moved to an apartment in Reseda by the park. Didn't, you can't just come here and be like, I'm a general contractor. I do all the big homes. What's good? Right? Getting clients. No. He worked at fucking U-Haul mm. for two years. That's heavy. For just you. to fucking be, just to have for two you. weekends. For me. Yeah. But me as a kid, and with you bringing that up, that's so pivotal, right? You, uh, us as children, and growing into adults, understand the sacrifice that our parents made for us and that life takes on a different meaning because so many parents with the immigrant mentality, as we like to bring up, mm -hmm. right, or just the family mentality is our parents just want us to be better than they were. That's right. And it's the first time I felt like a man. <sighs> I grew up in a culture Shit. where people judge their manhood by how many women they had slept mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. And that never connected for me. The first time I felt like a man is when I could take care of my mom. <sighs> to me, that was manhood. Fuck, bro. Mama! So you, you, you were able to, to, to get your mom a crib, and this was within the three years of, of banking? Yes, sir. Okay. What was that like? Take us back to that, because I feel like that's such, that's such a, a, a lifetime achievement goal of everybody. I can't wait till I can... Buy my mom a crib. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, look you at bought the, your mom the crib at what, 20? Like, you, you got your mom a crib in, in your mid-20s? Yes, sir. What, what, what was that feeling like of like, because, bro, I'm still at that point, right, of people come into this house. I'm blessed to have this. People don't realize I hit rock bottom before I got it, mm -hmm. right? I'll put my whole shit on blast right here, right? I got a full scholarship to SC, all damn near, 85% mm -hmm. because of academics, mm -hmm. yeah? My mom, when I was 18, told me I'm cut off. She could never support me financially because if she did, she'd kill my potential. Mm. And this is coming from a well-to-do family, mm -hmm. okay? My dad would always be like, are you okay? Do you need anything? But knowing my mom telling me story, knowing how my mom came to the States and my grandfather was an orphan. Mm -hmm. They got kicked out of his house by his mother, right? 
orphaned out, went to the best law school, literally wrote the books out. Couldn't afford the textbooks, wrote the books out himself. Became the best in his class in law school, mm-hmm. right? My whole track was supposed to be law, right? But best in his class, became one of the top aides to the king of Iran in terms of commerce for the UK and Iran, right? Had everything. My mom's five sisters were all doctors and surgeons, but my mom was the youngest. So at 13, she left the house when they started going to medical school. Mm -hmm. So she was all out there. When she came to the States, my grandfather would send her back then. We're talking 70s? Four grand a month. My mom sent that shit back. Mm. Said, I'm doing it on my own. So that was the mentality of the family that came in. And... It's wild because people look at your exterior and like, oh, bro, we haven't hella part. Like, you out here blessed. Da, da. I couldn't take... So my mom, because I got that scholarship, said, my son... <laughs> it's crazy. My son, uh, because you were able to do this and you showed me that you took such advantage of your life and you were able to be in a damn shit, I'm about to tear up. You were able to, to, to take pride in your livelihood. Because mm-hmm. mind you, when I was in high school, because she told me all that, I chose to go to community college one year just to save the money. Mm-hmm. It was either presidential scholarship or bus for me. Mm-hmm. For me. And she thought the world ended when I went to SMC for one year. She literally thought she failed as a fucking parent, dog. I'm talking tears. Mm-hmm. Until I got the acceptance from USC and the letter of like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Right? But after that, she said, my last gift to you ever. This is my senior year in college. My last gift to you ever is going to be a down payment on a house because I want my son to start his life well. Because he's taken so much responsibility. You don't know how much that's meant to me. What you've come up in. How hard you've worked. Right? I couldn't take her up on that for six years, bro. I was putting fucking quarters together to buy a Diet Coke sometimes. What everybody was thinking of me is Nushi to go get a Nushi getting it done. Registration expired for two years. Didn't want to drive. Mm-hmm. Right, was borrowing rent money from friends because they know I'm a good person and I know when I say I'm going to give it back, I'm going to give it back. Right, My mom would be calling me, coming to the crib, like, I'm by your house, seeing my car out. Right, I'm by your house. Like, I prom- like Imagine getting to this point. I promise I'm not going to talk to you about your career. I'm 24, 25, mm-hmm. working in urban music. She's thinking I wasted all my potential. I'm wasting it. How do you not see your worth? All this shit. I'm by your house, and I'm literally sitting there, like, so dejected, like, oh, mom, I'm in San Diego right now at Mm -hmm. a friend's house, knowing that she knows that I'm fucking with her, right? I'm skating to 7-Eleven by my crib just to get a Diet Coke so I can feel something in my stomach at that Mm -hmm. point. Then the world comes crashing down. I make the pivot, get the gig. I told my mom, like, we got this, this crib here. They got it at an incredible rate, right? They, They bought it, like, at an incredible time, like, just picture perfect. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, I want this for you. And I literally told my mom, if, if my current gig and what I have financially cannot support this, I'm going to find another time to take you up on that down payment. But it all worked out. right? So for me, it was like different. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But like, it's like when you, when you like have that and you just like work for your shit, which 
you feel a different way, mm-hmm. right? Albeit my mom put the down on this crib. I'm taking the mortgage over, right? You had your mom in your sights, and you got the crib for her. what? What was that like, bro? Because I, like, I'll tell you this: the moment that everything broke down, I moved back with my mom for a month. I did a pivot in a month, and it was on, right? Mm-hmm. I was just equipped. I just wasn't using it right. Dog, I had a friend of mine, Raymond No, shout out to you, dog. I love you to death. He was over at the crib the night that I got the offer, and I signed it from 5'4". Mm-hmm. And D, Andres, I love you guys, yeah? Shout out to 5'4". Straight up. And William Lifestyle, William Smith, like, my mentor to death, who was actually on this podcast, like, understand, AJ Rolan, too. Like, I had to throw all those out. Because those guys right there are, like, on into, but those guys right there are like the bricks in the morning, mm-hmm. right? That night when I signed, like, understand, and also understand this, like, fuck the, the Nushi podcast here, but my mom had a stroke within those five years. Oh, wow. Right? And looking back, I know goddamn well the stroke was because of stress, and that was because of me. Like, bro, she was dying inside. Still bossing out, but dying inside. She had a stroke, she almost died. And even then, I, w- I couldn't, like, put it together. A year after that, like, it all changed. But the night that I signed my offer letter for my gig, my mom was sleeping in front of the fireplace in her crib. And me and my boy Raymond come out, and he looks at my mom. My mom is really sleeping in front of the fireplace with a fucking smile on her face, bro. And he, lo- he looks at me, he goes, bro, your mom looks like an angel right now. Look at her. And I looked at her and I started fucking crying, bro. Cause like that's that's the type of emotion, like shit, mama, we made it now. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like now you don't have to worry. You feel me? I do. So I wanna ask you, like, what what was that emotion for you? Like knowing that deep down the name Billy Hawkins was gonna mean something. And as you progressed that two X, three X, four X making the name like it was all towards the greater good like what would that feel like get having that taste of being able to what so many of us aspire towards at such later stages in our lives at 25 instead of you going out and blowing it on clubs at the table tables and clubs and all this shit you were over there stacking you put down on it and you said mom i got you how the fuck was that like look it probably had two parts on the one part, it was the best feeling I ever felt. Mm-hmm. I said earlier to Joe, like, yeah. I felt for the first time, like, all right, I'm a man now. Mm-hmm. Another part all is... All you men out there, though, understand, you're a man now then. You're not a man because you, you slayed 85 chickies in one year. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just, I'm not trying to tell anyone else how to live, but that, that's just how yeah, I looked at it. Yeah, absolutely. And then... This, I'll tell everybody yeah, I heard, how to live. I heard you say I'll be vocal it. about you're it. You're telling people how to live. Uh, and then the second part was like, all right, I don't have that same survival pressure anymore. <sighs> Remember you asked me, yeah. Joe, about like school and I'm like, well, you know, it's one thing to look at school one way, but like if you're just trying to survive, fuck school, how is it helping? Yep. That was the first time I'm like, all right, even if I walked into work naked <laughs> and they thought this man's lost his mind and I yeah. went up to John Mack, the the president of Morgan Stanley, and smacked him in the face and said, yo, I fucked your wife. Word. I did not, by the way. But yeah, I'm saying even this if, is hypothetical. Even if, even, hypothetical. Because yeah, he's out there somewhere. He's probably yeah. so powerful as fuck. 
They would have fired me. Yeah. Blackballed me. I'd have to go work for some third tier investment bank in the middle of nowhere. I would have still made more money than that U.S. News World report that I was tripping off Respect. of that got me in college. Like at a certain point, like my floor was higher than my ceiling a very short time before. In that track that you were on. Yeah. That's, and, that's wild. And then I just realized like, oh. You hit a quantum world there then. There's no, like there's a safety net. There's no, you can't fail. Like like your thing, we made it. And I remember thinking like, it just changed how I thought about risk and fear. Like most people live in fear and they talk about risk. And I started to read a little bit about it. And risk for most of us doesn't exist. Like, um, all right, peep this. Half the world lives on less than $2 a day. Mm. Half the world. So most of us, like if you live in America, even if you think you're broken, I remember thinking I was broken. I describe myself as such. We had more than $2 a day. Yeah. So most of us, no matter what we do, no matter how bad we fuck up, we're going to live better than half the world. So then if you think about it, like, then what are we worried about? Like, they still live in. Yep. And so risk becomes a little bit about just your own psychological structure of what you consider to be failure, what you consider to be life or death. But we're not going to die sure. based on what we do. And so when I realized that, it, for the first time I started to, to think, all right, so money doesn't really matter as much anymore. It's not a survival thing. And I started to think about, like, what, who am I? Like, what do I want to do with my life? Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Um, um, yeah. Immensely. Um, and that's it's so funny yeah. because a lot of the guests that we, we've talked to and, and people we know, that the moment that you make a lot of money and leading up to it and what you have in your head and what that means is very different than what that reality is. Yeah. Mm. And you realize that's true that, um, you know, it's funny. I'll bring it back to drama's episode. I always think about this right. drama. He was our, our first guest. He said, you know, when I, when I got a, um, he says when I, when I got a, a I want to say a Bentley or Rolls Bentley, maybe he had a Bentley at one time. Okay. I, he, said, I think he had the rolls. Oh, rolls, okay, rolls, whatever. Yeah, same he said, shit. He said, Expensive ass car. Yeah, he same said, shit. I got the rolls. Like I, the moment I got it, it was awesome. But then I was like driving to like Seven Eleven in it. As like I went to Ralph's, <laughs> had to get groceries. Like you realize you're just, all right, you got this car, but you still have to do everyday life. And you're like, wait, this is actually isn't how it played out in my mind. Yeah. And the moment you actually finally felt that security financially for the first time, you know, you think, Oh, this is it. This is the moment. Everything's great after this. But then you, you live in that moment. You're like, wait a minute. Now what? And when we talk about the journey of, you know, or what it means to be successful or, or what it means to achieve your goal, it's really never ending. And that's the thing. It, people do get to that point where you, where you say, all right, now what? Now what drives me? Mm. Now who am I? And yeah, I mean, it only makes sense that you you finally had that moment for you where you can say, all right, who is Billy Hawkins? What, what do I want to be? I, I don't have to think about rent or survival. Like, fuck, things are important. Maybe if I was like this in high school, high school would have been important. Yeah. So what was important then at that time? 
uh, or what became important? It's a perfect question because I remember I, I asked myself that. And the, and the way I put it, I was like, if I just won the lottery and had all the money in the world, what would I do? And I really appreciated Morgan Stanley and they were good to me and I learned a lot. But all due respect to that profession, like if I had won the lottery, I sure as fuck wasn't going to be an investment banker. Like, yeah. dude, right? That that wasn't that that wasn't it. Yeah. All right, that's cool. No beef. Like, all right. So then, what might it be? And I loved media, and my mom had always talked about this idea since I was a kid about she was fighting so everyone could have a voice, and she was talking about education gives you the ability to participate in society in a meaningful way and have a voice. But the idea of like having a message or an idea and being able to reach people with it, mm -hmm. that was really powerful mm. for me. And so I thought, all right, I love movies. I love entertainment. Let me learn a little bit about that. I didn't know necessarily you could have careers in it. And I read all about it and the agencies kept coming up. And one agency in particular, this place called CIA, Creative <laughs> Artists Agency. This place. I didn't know it. Bro. It was for me. It was oh, just this you, place yeah, yeah. at the time. I just, I don't know. I just yeah, got yeah. some books. You know, star, bro. Yeah. you know, I just read about these things and like I was reading and I was like, oh, CIA. I didn't notice it. Certain, a lot of things were like that. You don't notice it. And then you see it again and you see yeah. it again. Like, oh, sure. what's the CIA? Yeah. It keeps coming up. Yeah. It just kept coming up. Oh, shit. And so I thought, huh. And I started reading about CIA. I read though there was a book about CIA. And I'm like, all right, there are these people. That they get to work. I was like, imagine you take all your favorite movies. Did you ever read The Mailroom? I read The Mailroom. I read all those books. Got it. I'm a nerd. I just, I'm like, let me go Respect. deep. Respect. Right? If I'm, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. But I remember thinking like, imagine you were to take, if you love movies, I don't know if you guys do, but whether you love movies or in your case, maybe you love music. I love people, man. People. That my, my, what I'm about to say doesn't work as well, people. But imagine you take all your favorite movies or all your favorite music and you put it up on a shelf. Yeah. That's inspiring. You're looking at it. Yeah. You know, if it's music, I don't know. It's Bob Marley, Jimi Hendrix. I don't know what it is. It's sure. Pac, bro. If it's movie, it's Pac, Biggie. I don't know. No beef. If it's, <laughs> if, it, if it's movies, you put all your favorite, The Godfather, yeah. Chinatown, whatever it might yeah. be for you. Sure. All right. Imagine that shelf. And then imagine if the people who created that music called you up, said, hey, I want to spend some time with you. I want to bring you into my process. I want you to contribute to it. In fact, even though I'm really good at creating this art form, I think you're really good at some things and that might be able to help me strategically further. Oh, fuck. Like, will you hang with me and participate in this and see if you can contribute? For me, at that time in my life, I thought if, if I had all the money in the world, like I would just do that for free. Yeah. Get to hang with the artists who are my heroes and contribute <laughs> to their art. What? I didn't even believe they could have such a job. Like, they, wait, I'm like, there's a job where I get to hang with artists and contribute and be part of it, and they pay you. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how I was like, I was like, I'm moved to Hollywood, and I'm gonna work with these artists. I'm gonna be an agent. And so that's what I thought. Now that doesn't sound that crazy at all it sounds like when i hear myself say it i'm like yeah that i get why i did that that's uh, I'm, I'm like i feel inspired by that even now that idea the crazy thing is the way that agent culture works at mm. the major agencies as i'm sure you guys know i don't know if everyone in the audience knows is that you start at the bottom you start in the mail room it's like a prerequisite yeah it's like a prerequisite and so in my case that was a little bit because you, you know you graduate college 
you come and you work in even the if you even if you graduate prestigious law school doesn't like, matter in the mail room, it's true it's true of, but yeah. just like level set like yeah. so the, the the normal case study is yeah. some guy comes out of usc yeah that's where a lot of them come straight from straight up you graduated 22 you go work at an agency in the mailroom. It's part of, you call it your graduate school in a way, but you're, you're literally delivering mail, making coffee for people, picking up phone calls, picking up people's dry cleaning. But here I was after having, a, you know, graduated law school, worked in banking, felt like I finally, like, I don't know if you watch movies, like, you know, I don't shine shoes no more. Bro, I got, I got, I, I got <laughs> denied from CAA. I want to interview. Make you feel any better. I got denied from CAA. <laughs> but you just don't take no for an answer. It, you know what's crazy, though? You know why I took no for an answer there? Mm-mm. Is I had a conversation with, with this girl, Giselle Ruiz. Yeah, I know Giselle. doing HR there, right? I know. And I was I a young there. buck. Shout and out Giselle Ruiz. You know, Fahad Siddiqui, I'm just bringing all of them in now, yeah. right? Fahad set it up where the head of the mailroom, the, the white dude, like. Tom? Tom. Yeah. He Shout said, out bro, Tom. He said, "Bro, if Tom's in the in the interview, you got the gig already." Bro, I was dead. I was set to get it. Whoop. Tom's in the interview. This is other lady. I completely forgot her name. We're talking all this shit, and you know, Billy, you know me. Me now, it was me then too. So I'm you over were there talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready. And then I hit the killer. Like I deaded myself out, which I didn't know. And to be honest, it, to me, that answer there was a guess. Cause she was like, "Oh, why do you want to be in, in in the agency? All this," and to me, I like didn't didn't think about it. But I was like, "You know what? My best friend's brother was over at ICM, and he was in the lit department, right? And he'd bring scripts home, and and he'd just like let me read them, right? And I'd read them, and I was like so fascinated by these stories. You know where she took this? Because that's a good it's answer. Fucking wild ass. I'm not even gonna." mark on her but she literally took this so fucking left she said hold on i remember hold on i was like oh what the fuck Mm. she was like somebody gave you an agency script from another agency those are the types of people you hang around with oh shit and i said types of people i'm a i'm a college kid and he was letting me read scripts, and I was actually enamored at the storytelling. She's like, that's unbelievable. That's unacceptable. Hmm. I can't believe it. I saw Tom sink, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm over there like, you really going here with mm. this shit? In my head. Mm. In my head. Mm. It wasn't in your head just now when you said it. But I was like, you really taking this here? I don't know who it was. I can't tell you the name, but I was like, you really going here with it? Afterwards, she's like, all right, cool. Like, literally, it ended three minutes afterwards. Walked down the elevator. I was like, I know I know, I fucked something up. Fahad's calling me afterwards. He's like, what's good? What's going on? Like, talk to me. Because, like, Fahad was like, oh, you're in. Boom. Right. I was like, bro, I don't think I'm going to get this shit. Right? I was like, I think. And I told him the story. He was like, he was like, fuck, Really? And I had this convo with Giselle about it, that instance. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Anoush, thank God you didn't go in there. Because I didn't know like my talents there and all that. She said, you, your personality, I don't know what the fuck. You're, you, you're more of a manager than you are an agent. Mm-hmm. right?" She's like, but if you went into the system, it'd kill your spirit. Mm. And that was just that sidebar there for the, the, the agency yeah. realm. But like, a good sidebar. But like, to me, like... 
And I felt that though. I was like, cool, because like I just come off of this. I was like, damn, I told you this. Even though it was a guess for me, I was like, this isn't wrong. And I'd done my research. I'd read the mailroom. I'd read all those things too. So I was like, I'm knowing like the dude that started the fucking uh, the chocolate chip cookies. Like nobody knew what the fuck they were doing when they're coming mm-hmm. into the mailroom. Nobody. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling you this, and you're taking me for a fucking CIA mole, like Russian spy coming in this shit, right? But at that point, I was just like so resolved with that. I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to management round. Mm. Fuck all that. Mm. Right? But to, that's why to me it wasn't, oh, you're not going to give me this. I'm going to go to ICM and, and right. fucking. Uh, it, just, it just wasn't for w, you. Yeah. yeah. William Morris. You know what I'm saying? No. But so you went from, you did all your research. You, so you got rejected from CAA. Yes, sir. What, talk to me. Talk to us about that. You have a more evolved mind than I do. Okay. For me, I'm simple. I'm like, all right. Everything I read tells me CA is the best. That's where I'm gonna go. Yeah. So I move out to LA, and I start to think about how I'm gonna get into CAA. I didn't know anyone that knew anyone. I didn't have any connections in the well, entertainment business. I had like business. six hitters with me too. And you, because you're social and you had been here. I had Anthony DiPolito. I had Pat McDonald. I had all these cats. If you added up everything I had and put it together, you'd have nothing. Yeah. And so I thought, all right, there's always a way. And generally I thought it's who you know. So I thought, all right, here's my, this is a, it's the most terrible plan in the world, but here's my plan. I love it. I love it. I'm going to start going out in LA mm. and I'm going to be as, as charismatic as I can be and sociable. Damn. And I'm going to start to meet people and I'm going to meet some guy named Joe. We're going to hit it off. And he's like, you know what? I like that kid. He reminds me of me. Wow. Kid, what are you trying to do in LA? And I'm going to say, I want to be an agent at CAA. Hey, and you believe that as a possibility? I was playing through my whole plan. This is my yeah. plan. Oh, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then Joe's gonna say, Oh, well, I know someone at CA, and Joe's gonna call and hook me up, and that's how I'm gonna get my interview. This is my plan. You thought this shit in new existence, but I thought it through a step further because then what Joe's gonna say is, Great, I'll call CA. Who's your resume in with? And if I say to Joe, Oh, I haven't even applied yet, then Joe's gonna be like, Oh, you're just a freeloading fuck waiting Ah. for someone else. So even though I know in my head that no one gets in just by applying cold, I better apply cold just to make sure when I hustle and meet someone and ask for the favor that it does, I don't want it to appear that I haven't even tried to help myself. Absolutely. All right. So then I said, All right. So step one, I gotta apply cold, even though I know I'm gonna get rejected. So I put together a cover letter and a resume. You're a banker at this point, bro. Yes. And I put together, I'm like, let me, so hard, I'm a bank, on, I'm a bank this shit. Yes, sir. I'm, on, yes, sir. I'm sorry. With a Michigan undergrad and a Harvard law degree and you're a banker. Yes, sir. And just the audacity of you putting a resume in for CAA at the mailroom, like, wait. Well, I, th- I thought that through and I, because I'd read and all you're these like, books. They're going to look at this and be like, well, come on in, champ. No, I went the other way. I thought there is no way in the world that anyone in the mailroom is going to deliver the resume to HR of the motherfucker that's going to come in and compete right next to them. Oh, shit. Why would anyone in the mailroom ever deliver that piece of mail? That's what I thought. That's very true. That's very true. Right? I'm like, because the whole thing is the mailroom. David Geffen's in there. David Geffen, right? Reading reading the little, like. Just so you know, 
He's fucking on his game. He's done his research. David Geffen famously was in the mailroom and had to steam open the envelope of his own uh, uh, resume because he didn't actually graduate from USC, we know, but he had claimed we know. that he we, had. We, we got the letterhead changes over here. Mm-hmm, we know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my thesis, but I was like, you know what? But I got to go through the motions. Got it. And so <laughs> I had a resume, and then I wrote a cover letter. And I don't remember what the cover letter said, but it was something like, to whom it may concern, my name is Billy Hawkins, and I'm going to be the best agent that's ever walked through the front door of CIA. Going back to the roots. Back to the roots. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this worked once before. Right. It's going to work again. It's going to work again. Period. You like couldn't that. take a piece of paper, yeah. but you're going to write it yeah, on it. Right. And that was bolded. That was like one oh, sentence of bolded. You. And then it was something like I was the number one in my class at this, and I was top 1% in the country at that, and you know, just kind of breaking it down. Yeah. And it says something like, I don't see why this should be any different, which dumb thing to say, but that's what I said. But here is the, the kicker. I was like, I will call you on Thursday. I don't remember the day, but like, on Thursday, November 23rd at 3 p.m. to discuss. He gave the paper to them just to take it away. I was on like, on Thursday at 3 p.m. But I said like a specific time and I borrowed that technique from a guy named Michael Ovitz who had founded CIA because I had read the book and he had signed someone by doing this thing where he would set a time and call it that exact time. Anyway, so I send the email, or send the email, I send the mail in old school and then that now I have like an appointment Thursday 3 p.m. And I know that they may or may not take it, but I thought you could set your clock by it. I called on that day at that time to the second. Wow. And I knew I wasn't going to get through, but the person picked up the phone. Uh, and I was like, uh, hi, my name is Billy Hawkins. Uh, I'm sh- you know, I sent a letter. I'm sure you didn't get it. Oh, no. I got your letter. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Really>? wow. <laughs> I got your letter. <laughs> oh, no way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's fantastic. I'd love to talk <laughs> to you about coming to work at CIA. She's like, well, look, this is an interesting letter. But I got to be honest, we don't have any positions open. But tell you what, come in. I'm just curious to meet the person who wrote a letter like this. Wow. And so I go in. I'm like, hey, it's nice to meet you. My name's Billy Hawkins. I'm going to be amazing. I didn't say that, but I was like, yeah. energetic. And she was like, well, look, you don't really have any experience. And I was like, well, you know, I have some work experience. She's like, well, not in entertainment. And I'm like, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. But let me explain something to you. There is this game that we used to play when I was a kid. It's like, what do you mean this game? I'm like, well, the game works like this. You put your arms out to the side like this. And you guys can't see but my arms are fully extended. And you have to play against someone and they have to put their arms fully out to the side. Now we got new she extended. Now the way you win the game is to just keep your hands up longer than the other person. Billy, I'm finishing this podcast with my fucking hands up like this. It seems I'm not going to go toe-to-toe with a man like this. <laughs> it seems like easy, yeah, but eventually your arms get tired. And whoever puts their arms down first loses. And I never lose this game. Respect. And that's what I said. I'm going to put my arms down, so I'm not going to challenge the man, even though, just so you know, his arms stayed up. Um, <laughs> and I said that that's she, wild though that like just the gravity of being able to in these moments right because and there are certain things that you being the, the self-proclaimed nerd that you are mm-hmm. think out think about 
consequences. Think about like different. If they react yeah. this way, it's this. If they react this way, mm-hmm. you, you think about all the possibilities, yeah. right? But there are so many things that like whether it's red or not, like there are nuances of being bold enough to take the fucking paper out from mm-hmm. from this lawyer lawyer's hand. Being bold, like being Listen, having having the wherewithal, the nothing to lose. Yeah. But having the wherewithal to throw, the, but nothing to lose is different than like look like. There's a difference. No, if somebody did that, you are you become somebody. Yeah. Well, well, this is what I mean, though. Like it's yes, it's, you capture their imagination. I'm sorry, Jennifer. Yeah. Please. No, 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 you become somebody there. Like you, you've taken the paper, you become somebody. They've rarely seen this. A lot of people go in with the bravado of, of I'm gonna be the best, all this, but even in 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 just the casual knows that you're getting right, just the let me feel them outers. You're saying this is why, and bop, you're just throwing an example out like. What's going? And you have your hands up, and you're still talking oh. to this to this person. It's in fucking insane, dude. It's insane. Like what insane. you're doing? What you're doing? Become no. Billy, the person that did this yeah. and that wrote that, and the, instead of yeah, you know, the kid from the no, nobody does that. That's the thing, and it's 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 very few. It goes but like the, it goes back they, to they're, they're in history. It goes back to what you were saying, where. The person that even gets that opportunity is going to go in there and be like, oh, my God, don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. They're going to dress in a nice suit. Mm -hmm. They're going to be formal as hell. Try to say everything right. Try to anticipate every question. You go in there creative and say, here's the game that I played. Wap. And it's just it it fits with your unconventional way of doing things mixed with that feeling of like. And when I say nothing to lose, like, yeah, you can lose this opportunity. But it's more than that. It's. I don't think I've ever been in a position where I have nothing to lose. Like, truly. I, I, I personally... You're feel always like, in that position. Oof. Right. But this is how I feel, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people, you feel this way. Like, but you kind of embrace that and, and you know, your, your personality and who you are is fortunate enough to actually use that as an asset to get to these next pl- levels and, and, and enhance your career. Um, whereas a lot of people, uh, you know, we had Lorenzo on here where he said, you know, he was a great street ball player. Mm-hmm. As soon as he entered the court, couldn't do it. Couldn't mm-hmm. do it with the pressure when of game messing time up. came on, or mm-hmm. like when, it, when it wasn't a pickup game. Mm-hmm. When it wasn't a pickup game. Kind of tensed mm-hmm. up. Best player on the street, couldn't mm-hmm. do it in the game. And... I think that's actually more the norm for a lot of people. Now, in your situation, though, in your character in this, to go in there, there is a boldness of it. It's not so much even confidence from my perspective. It's kind of just this desire and I'm going to make it happen, you know, because I I can. And it's possible, you know. It doesn't come off to me as, like, arrogant or cocky as maybe it could seem. Yeah. Like I'm, I come in there. I'm telling you, I'm the best. It's kind of coming there in like almost a charming way. Well, look, I appreciate the kind words from both of you, but the reality is, she said no. She Hell. said, <laughs> she said, actually, I can't believe you. <laughs> I cannot believe that she said no. But would it matter either way? Well, it didn't matter to me because I said that's great. I completely understand. You don't have any positions right now. I tell you what. At a certain point in life, you're going to want to hire someone. You gave her the option to like renege on her. No, I just thought, I said, look, at, it, you're, at a certain point, you're going to want to hire someone. And you probably have a lot of on your desk to deal with. I'm guessing you work really hard. You have a lot to keep up with. You have filing. You have this. You have that. 
you tell me what's easiest. At that point in the future that you're going to need to hire someone, you can either go through your file and look back at your old resumes and keep me there and maybe you call me then, and that's fine. If it's easier for you to not even have to think about it, I can check back in with you. Yeah. And she's like, actually, yeah, why don't you check in with me? I said, great. I don't. You're a thug for that. <laughs> I don't want to be too, I don't want to be up on you. Like, what do you think? Like, check in in a month, in a week. She's like, uh, maybe check in next week. I'm like, great. Thursday, three o'clock. There it is. And I set a phone date. And for like six weeks, on Thursday at three o'clock, you could set your clock by me calling. There was nothing in her, like the sun was rising. Like I was going to ring her fucking phone at that time on that day. And again, mind you, something really special here. For somebody that's had, quote unquote, no entertainment experience, mm -hmm. that's a juggernaut mm. of a mentality. A juggernaut of a mentality. To set the date and stand by and say, I don't give a fuck persistence wise. I'm going to hit you until I get what I want. And so ultimately she's like, you know what? come in, I want you to meet some people. And that was the day that it changed. I went and I met six different agents that were senior agents in every department. I took them through everything they asked. And the next day I started in the mail room. Now we're excited, but this is, I, I won the opportunity to make coffee, deliver packages, make copies of things. Now the fact that you were kind of, you had your, you know, your financial success in banking, um, doing all those, I want to say, quote unquote menial, menial tasks. Yeah, menial tax tasks. Um, did you care? Like, I, did your ego get in the way at all? I cared a lot. Really? I felt like my dick was this big. Really? And, and That's I That's so interesting. And I remember the moment it's about what you want to do, not like your status though. It was, point. it was, and I did it. I swallowed my pride, but I remember the moment. I'll never forget. You guys won't know the name probably, but there was a guy named Jesse Terrero who was a music video director at the height. He he was just getting in to try to break into his movie career. When I was in New York as a banker, you know, we were out and got a couple tables and this and that, and we would see him and he'd be at the table and he would look over at us like with respect, like, oh, these guys are bawling. And yeah. like, who do you have at his table? The guy, some baseball player. Anyway, and I remember I was walking through the lobby of CAA holding like the mail cart and I was bumping into Jesse Torero, who was like, yo, Billy? And he, oh, shit. he was nothing but good vibes. He was respectful. But the look in his eye of surprise and bewilderment on like, how is it possible that this bawling ass man from the suits and the private jets is now delivering mail? Just the surprise. I I don't even know how to describe how much my nuts like went <laughs> up into my like it just felt like hey, I, hey no if if your dick felt that little like you yeah. went through transition at that point and you just <laughs> cut the fucker off huh you just cut the bitch off huh and so and so it was a lot to cope with now I want to jump in because please um, what my question is going to be what kept you going because I have a I had a friend who kind of changed the course of his uh he was in financial and doing sales for a finance company financial company and um changed to work in film mm -hmm. and like went to ucla got a film degree and then started interning and was like fuck this i'm gonna go back to making a ton of money 
that was even though I didn't really I mean he actually didn't hate his job but what made you keep going and not just be like I'm just gonna go back to that life where I knew I could kill it and that's just way better I'm not starting here it's a good question I don't have the right answer, but I think it's one though. I think it's not who I am. I think once I've admitted out loud, you know, there's this. So a a friend of mine is friends with the guy that invented Siri, and think what you will of it. Like the guy that invented Siri is, you know, pretty um, accomplished guy. Yeah, he's all right. Um, No, yeah, absolutely. And 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 this guy has a, a as I'm told, and I don't know him, so I'm not like dro- name dropping. Oh, sure, friend of yeah. a friend. Uh, this guy apparently has this thing. He says VSG, and what VSG is, it's verbally stated goals. He's got this theory that if you have some goal for yourself, whatever your goal is, and you tell your people what it is, you now will feel as you talked about a pressure, like it keeps you honest. Like, oh yeah. Well, I don't know if it's because it was verbally stated or not, but once I set out on something, once that's what that's what we're doing, like I lock in, right? Like, because it would have been easy to like when the when the lady rejected me after I like I had my arms out, like I was basically tap dance for the, for this lady, and she rejected yeah. me. Let's be real. <laughs> it would have been easy to give up then, or the second week, or the third week, or the fourth week, or the fifth week. I don't know if that's how I'm wired. Mm. Like to me, like if I'm about it, I'm about it and you're it's getting it. done. You're in it. You're in it now. Yeah. And I, I mean, think about it. Like if you've seen the Terminator, like this is a dumb reference. It's just a movie, but there's something awesome about this idea of a force that will not stop that you can't actually beat. You can only avoid for some temporary amount of time. And so I think I just had this idea that nothing not shame, not ego, mm. not making minimum wage, which is what I was making, um, is going to stop me from what I set out to do. And you could have been a, a guy, like, I, w- I want to make a very, like, stark point here, because you could have been a guy that had no, because you came from a financially solid back, like, once you started working, you had money, right? So yeah. you were able to take the hit, yeah, right? But being the guy that was in it to win it, once he set his mind to it, you could have had jack shit and you would have made it work. Would that, you have That's have? kind. That is really kind. Right? Like, I, I, well, I don't know. I think sometimes that I was really fortunate. You know, there are a lot of people who might be interested in the arts in some way who maybe didn't have the means. You know, in many ways, it's a rich person's career. Very few people. That- but do you not think that, that fucking, you know... Let's say, for example, our love's fictitious son that's in the game, right? Mm-hmm. That comes in pampered and bred and all that, mm-hmm. right? And then there's little, like, shit, I'm going to say Jameer McDonald. Mm-hmm. Where the Jameer. fuck did I get that name? Shout out to Jameer McDonald. Yeah. Right? Okay. Wherever you are, you're going to be a star, kid. Yeah. But comes in, but has that, I don't give a fuck. I've been told no my whole fucking life. I know all this. I don't give a shit what I need to do. Jameer's working... A, on the weekends, right, just to pay rent, sleeping on couches, right? I'll vote for Jameer every time. Not All vote. day. Bet. But that's what I'm Bet saying. Bet is what this, I mean. This, Bet. This could be an elitist's game, but also in this entertainment field in general, right, elitism goes away very fast, especially 
when you're representing talent because and we'll get we'll get to that at mm-hmm. that point but when you're representing talent your check comes from your talent your livelihood comes from your talent mm-hmm. you're in a world where the next man will literally walk out on his wife birthing their first baby to take your fucking bitch ass call mm-hmm. right to ask why the pillows in your trailer are not fluffed and you will sit there taking the call as your wife is contemplating who she married mm-hmm. and what kind of father this fucker is going to be. Mm-hmm. And you talking down the check, baby. You talking him down the cliff and saying, don't worry. I'm going to call I'm the Four Seasons. I'm gonna, I'll come there and fluff it myself. I'm yeah. leaving right now. I'm on a red eye to fucking where God knows where you are. That's right. That's this industry. Yeah. Right? True. But the elitism goes away there. That's not elite anymore, right? Because the allure of elite is there. But again, when you reference like what made you feel like a man, right? Those things to get those checks, if they were really put out into the open like that, there'd be a lot of alpha males that felt like little Billy in the mailroom <laughs> with the Asian dick, right? I hear what you're saying. Shit, you hear what I'm saying? Am I wrong? Fuck. <laughs> He's like, I hear what you're saying, bro. But hold on, let me let, let me brush. Sure hold on, let me you. brush the dandruff yeah. off of the shoulder, like I'm head and shoulders himself. So, <laughs> what was it then? You had money. So, you, whether you had money or whether you not, like the the point, the ultimate point was is seeing the type of person that you are. That co- once they committed, they were in it to win. Yeah. Right. Regardless of whether it was fortunate to have the money or not, this is a game where you could have it all and lose it in a second, but that doesn't break you. Mm -hmm. The ones that really put, like, in summation, the ones that really make a name, right, are the ones that are able to, if they lose everything, they've still done it. Like, because my biggest thing is this, the elitists in this game are not in the trenches like that, Mm -hmm. right? They're called daddy. Mm-hmm. Or call mommy, mm-hmm. right? But the ones that have done it, the Geffens, the this, the that, the other. Regard, I don't know what his financial background was, right? But this motherfucker wanted it so bad, he'll do whatever the fuck mm-hmm. it took. Yeah. Hungry. There's a difference between elitist and we're nurtured for this, right? If don't get me wrong, if a motherfucker comes from literally wasp class and elite class and is willing to literally do whatever the fuck it takes. That guy is probably going to rally all the minions and be like, dog, I feel you. I don't care what the fuck you come from. I see the winner in mm-hmm. you guys, and you're going to fucking ride with us. Mm-hmm. And subconsciously or consciously build a team around him that he knows he has his weaknesses, but will build the people around him that will support his weaknesses, and mm-hmm. it'll be a team game now, mm-hmm. right? But it becomes a do-whatever-it-takes mentality. In entertainment in general, you have to have it. You have yeah, to be willing to do whatever the fuck it especially takes. Especially in this industry where it's so competitive and people, there's just too many people that are willing to work pretty much for free. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just like overqualified people in your position who will, there's thousands of you that would do that, mm-hmm. you know, to break into the entertainment. Even with your pedigree, bro. Absolutely. Yeah. Your yeah, pedigree, like, albeit it was like very pristine. This is this is a world in which there are a lot of yous there. Absolutely. That yeah, attempt it. to do it, but re- very few 
break through the system, let alone make a name. And we, which is a good segue to while you're in there mm-hmm. in the mail room, how are you making your name now as you once mm. did in um, investment banking? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anush is body, giving me rib shots right now. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example that for me says it all. But, but I basically had this idea that I'm not in the mailroom. Mm. that I'm already an agent. And the mailroom is just like, just like James Bond has some cover story when he goes undercover. Mailroom's just my cover. It's not my job. My job is I'm already an agent. I know it. Y'all can't tell nobody, but that's the real. So what does an agent do? An agent goes out and signs clients. As a matter of fact, as you said, Anush, that's what it's all about. You are who you represent in that business. Uh, and I remember my first major client sign. There was a, a writer who was represented by the head of the motion picture department Jesus. at the other agency. You know the other agency. Yeah. And and, um, and you're the agent that's in the mailroom. I was just in the mailroom, yeah. No, but and, <laughs> and, and I'd, I, I was doing my best to always keep in touch, keep my ear to the ground. And I heard that this agent might, uh, that this client was going to leave his uh, agent. And CAA was thinking about signing this guy, but they wanted to be able to read his new script first. He had a new script, but it was on lockdown. Nobody could get their hands on it. And so I started calling all my assistant friends and mailroom friends and trying to figure out, like, how can I get a web out? How do I get my hands on the script? And I did. Wow. I got my hands on the script, but That's it was tenacity right there. But it was watermarked, like it was a, it was a, it was a, on printed on red paper, with someone's name printed across the top of it. And I had this like moral conundrum of like, well, I have the script, but I can't give it to this. There was a senior agent that wanted to read it. I can't give it to this senior agent because it's trackable, and I don't want to get someone fired because yeah. I've not wow. traded. Yeah. And so everyone's, you know, especially I, in this slimy doggy dog world, yeah. you were yeah. thinking that though. Oh yeah, always, always. Not not everyone plays that way, but I got believe it. like you've got relationships yeah. about your word. Yeah. And so remember you talked about was it your grandfather like rewrote Writing, I, I I felt you were going there. Yeah, I got some people together. So You're a thug for We're gonna dude. retype this script from scratch. I love that. And we retype That's it. so wild. We retyped the you script. You threw the Geffen at him, but like to the nth degree. And so, and so we retyped the script and I went to the senior agent and I said, I heard you were looking for the script. I got it. He's like, how'd you get it? I'm like, don't worry about how I got it. I got wow. it. Now that I earned, but the agent was kind that when he took the signing meeting with this guy, he invited me into the meeting. He didn't have to do wow, that. He did not have to do that. Mm-mm, and to 95% that. of them wouldn't. He just got lucky. Yeah. And so I'm in the meeting and I connect with the guy and I became part of the team and then when that agent left later, that became uh, one of my clients. And this guy that wrote American Hustle was Oscar nominated wow. for that. And so that, that happened like that. And when that agent left, that's when you got to be out of the mailroom and became an agent. Yeah. That was the open. No, no, no. I was already an agent by that time. Okay, but just right. if you look over the court, like that's what that's, started that's my relationship with yes. this yeah. client. That kind of the start of the transition. That I, was, I started out as like just the young kid on the team. Oh, I like that kid for the client's perspective. He was already yeah. a major writer to being his agent. Being his primary agent. That's incredible. That, that's now, one now, example. Now talk to us about your, your growth within the agency because were you on the talent side? So you started off on, on the lit side then. 
Correct. Did you escalate to tap? Because like, it's crazy to me to understand the nuances and the and the and the the different verticals within mm-hmm. the agency system, yeah. right? And also understanding that like, it's not only like this is this person's client. Like you're working for the machine. Mm-hmm. The machine has the team. That's the right. The team has the the head. Yeah. The head has the coordinator. The coordinator's overlooking the other departments yeah. to make sure that we're coming in here, we're pampering you, baby. You got this, you got that. You want brand deals, you want you want all these different things. So you're putting together the team for the agent. Yeah. But there is the top dog that's getting yes. the phone calls that you better not be having a kid during a time of turmoil because yeah. you're, you're leaving the room. All, right? all of the above is accurate. Absolutely. Did you continue there and stay through it or did you start... Because it's wild to me to think, like, did you did you start venturing into different avenues of the representation field or did you stay literary? It's a good question. So the simple answer is through my whole time at the agency, I was in the lit department. Mm. Got it. I started out by representing writers. Got it. And over my career, I signed and worked with four Oscar-nominated writers, two Oscar-winning screenwriters. Um I tried really hard to develop a reputation for having the best material, like in music, being I, I got, being A and R, like I got the best new yeah. music. Mm-hmm. And I had a firm belief that that is the foundation of everything. I don't care if you're the biggest actor in the world; you need a good script. Were, were you, with that being said, mm-hmm. were you the pound? Like, were you the type to literally? read script after script after script because like it, it, you say the nerd side but you're very charismatic right so it, to me knowing that world like the ones that get the, the the golden writers are the ones in my in in what a lot of people outside would assume are the ones that pound the pavement reading script after script after script right i read script after, after script after script so after you were script that dude. i had, i had heard a story got it about an agent telling an assistant that if you want to get promoted, read scripts. Every time you read a script, put it in the stack. I feel you, bro. When your stack touches the ceiling, <laughs> then you get promoted. And I stacked those motherfuckers I fucking so high, love that. so fast, you couldn't possibly outread me. Wow. That was my basic approach. You're a, you're a fucking machine, bro. I don't know if I'm a machine, but I just thought, Okay, you're here's a, something you're I understand. Here's something I understand. In human form, then. If you got to read to the stack, like I know that every time you read one, you add it to it, and it's going to hit the ceiling. Got it. I can't be beat. There's certain things that if any of us accept that that's the basis of competition, you can't be beaten. It's up to you. You're on that Will Smith. It's up to you. It's up to you. You're going to die on the treadmill then. Exactly. I know. I know the reference. Oh, I know you do. Uh, yeah. Um, and that was that was the approach I took. Got it. And then. But from very early on, CA was really generous to me. And so as soon as I got promoted, like I was, you know, they brought me into the Steven Spielberg team very early in my career. Um, What was that like for you? Because like there's a thing of like getting what you want, right? But like, I don't know. I want to take a moment just to kind of talk about like from this perspective of like, because like we had a conversation last night about like we idolize people. Mm Mm-hmm. But when you meet your idols, sometimes the human, as opposed to the brand, will mm-hmm. crush you. Yeah, it's real. Right? And, like, I, I had a spat against Michael Jordan on that podcast. Mm-hmm. People are here, right? But 
the fact of the matter is sometimes like the people that we look up to the most and we idolize, 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 if we're ever fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to work with them, sometimes the people they are will break us mm-hmm. or will break that image of like otherworldliness, if you will, mm-hmm. right? What was it like for you after like being that, you know, you're somebody that inserts yourself and really will work to the death of himself to, to, get, to, to, to continue the lineage of the Billy Hawkins name, but also to, to like fuck the name because like I feel like another assumption here, but I feel like for you it's like, damn, like you're literally every pivot that you've made and every path you've embarked on and we're at the agency stage here, but not only has it been to like keep the name and build the name, but it's been to prove to yourself that you can continuously evolve and get better. Mm-hmm. Because for somebody that's put himself in these positions, in this entertainment industry, that's literally flush with distractions, mm-hmm. with opulence, with substance, mm-hmm. with abuse of all of those things. Damn, I just tied that around and just mm. lassoed the bitch. Right? For you, it was different, though. For you, it was like, it was like history was his story. Right? Mm-hmm. And like it just continues to show that your driver was something in this essence. What was it like for you? In not outside of just getting it done, let's take a moment and like, if you like, did you ever like sit back and reflect? Like, fuck, I'm here with on the Spielberg team. I'm working X Y Z. Like, what was that? What was that like? Whew, holy shit, moment like. It hit me early, mm. um, and it didn't take a lot. I think I've always been really appreciative. So even when I was in the mailroom, and they would print out scripts, and I would deliver the scripts, I'd be thinking to myself, this script I'm delivering, the the movies that I love, remember earlier I was pointing yeah. to the wall, yeah. and you could have your favorite yeah. movies? yeah. This script is a future movie. Like I felt like a like a obstetrician delivering a baby. Like that, I love that that happened in the mailroom. Yeah, but that's I mean that's real. Like those yeah. scripts become, and I've seen. I still see it. I've been out of the business for a minute. I still see movies coming out. Like I see the billboards now, and I'm like, oh, I remember that script. Wow, they finally got that thing made. That far in development. That was in my stack. <laughs> it was in my stack. Wow. And and what I love. You know one of the scripts I read back I when I got like shot down? I don't. Seven pounds. Seven pounds. That's incredible. I read that script, I started. I crying. remember that one. Right? Mm-hmm. I saw the movie. It was it was it was wild for me because it hit me, but then like he it's crazy because I wasn't I'm not the movie guy, right? To be like, oh my god, this director just completely obliterated. You know what I'm saying? I don't know that shit. Mm-hmm. But like I read the script for seven pounds and I was just like, mind you, like I'm not the like, bro, my stack would literally be like a couple of them and you'd see burrito and rice crumbs <laughs> next to it. You feel me? I'd be on to the next one. I didn't have that grit for that. Right. But in those scripts that I read, I remember this vividly because seven pounds was one of them that I read. That I, and like also understand this, me being like when I said my passion is people. Mm hmm. Me being a person that's so connected to like the intricacies of human behavior and and like of like what is driving people is like 
it literally tore at my fucking heartstrings. Mm-hmm. And when it got to the end, I was just like, I literally was just crying. I was crying. I'm, and mind you, I may be like boisterous nushi, but like I'm cool with my emotions. I'll cry in front of a motherfucker mm-hmm. all day. I don't give a fuck. Big boys cry too. You feel me? I feel you. But it's like, it's wild, bro, because it's like, it's like, that that for me just completely shifted. But like you, you've had the ability to like be around all of those things, right? And I completely lost my train of thought of where I was going with this question. That's all good, but the being around all those things was like this constant state of excitement. It pushed me to want to accomplish more. Mm. It inspired me between reading a great screenplay from someone you never heard of to going out and sign, you know, Spike Lee was another guy who was represented by a guy that ran the motion picture department at the other agency. And I didn't even, I didn't even have an office window yet. I was working in an interior office with no window. And I was like, I'm going to sign Spike Lee. Really? And it was a cold call. And he was like, what are you doing calling me? You don't know me. And I just went into my thing as though he were John Mack at Morgan Stanley, as though he were that same Mm -hmm. first interview. What was your thing there? Can, can you take us through that combo or like the semblance of it? Because like that's a moment, man. Like that, that's one of those moments where like. That was a key moment in my career. That's one of those moments where it's like anybody listening, like even like young agents to be or mm-hmm. whatever, like, no, but bro, like what the fuck was that? Like I get that that's a moment, but what was that moment for you? Well, let me break down pieces of it. Let's go. Piece one. I didn't even have a number for him. There was one listed number of his office that I called and left a message. Straight up. And when my assistant was like, Spike Lee on two, oh my God. I was like, what? Like, I was like a little two-year-old girl. Like, I couldn't even believe that he was calling. All right. But then I remember I flipped from I can't believe it to like, oh, we're going to sign Spike. You're getting got Spike. And she, was like, and she was like, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, well, if we can get him on the phone, he's all. It's one thing. If, he, if he's not going to call, you can't make someone call you. No, you cannot. But if you can have a two-way communication, yeah. I already know I that I'm going to read more scripts, do more I got work. You. What like, references you want me to bring? What, what exactly? Yeah. Like then you've you've done your research. Yeah. It's over. Then it's over. So that's part one. Part two is, and I gonna have to be thoughtful about it because part of what I did is is I said, listen, here are the things going on that I believe your agent's not telling you about. Wow. Um. But I'll leave the specifics out because there are absolutely, a lot of names that are still, still active. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was just very persistent and I worked with the team, as you know, and, and, you know, and we got him to come over and didn't just get him to come over because I think that, you know, in agent world, sometimes that's considered the victory. Like we represented him, I think, as well as he's ever been represented. Wow. The opportunities he That's brought incredible. his way. I remember like the first opportunity we, we brought him, he passed. I wanted to kill myself. But <laughs> the first opportunity we brought him was one of the biggest tentpole movies you've ever heard of. And we brought him that opportunity. We got a yes from the actor and from the producer. But signing him isn't the key. But being able to like Building sign... Him. Yeah. To, Building to, opportunities. I would even say like talent. service, serving, serving him. him. Yeah. Serving him. Like... You know, you made a reference in a kind way that you, you saw this in Gardner. Like when you work with someone like it's now on, for me, it's now on me to like 
find the sunshine, find the water. You're cultivating. Cultivate. Give this person, this entity, everything that he or she needs to have this full expression of themselves. Is fit to become the flower that they saw themselves yeah. as. And, and, and that's what I'm proud of. Awesome. Mm. Yeah. So it, it wasn't from the actual signing. It was just... What you can, what you can, um, I mean, to what be honest, you can both. like that. Yeah. I remember that day well, when time, I was like, like you're not remember that day, like I represent Spike Lee, like that was that was a, that was an important moment, and it, was, and it changed my career. Who was one of your favorite clients to work with? I, to be honest, I feel fortunate to work with all of them. Spike was seminal. I reference Eric Singer, who had American Hustle, but there's so many clients I couldn't name them all. That Got it. In a way that you know, what what uh, what what caused you to? And I was lucky. I know I'm interrupting. Forgive me. I was lucky. Most <laughs> agents have to work with clients they don't like. You I, know what's crazy? I was lucky. I had good karma, good energy from every client I worked with. You, you make that point, and I'm going to make a reference here. Yeah. And you'll know this because of you know the, the management situation that y'all had. It was always so wild to me. Because like, it's crazy because you have something that I don't. And well, everyone has something that everyone does. Absolutely. But like... In, in making note, like, yes, I'm extremely good with clients mm -hmm. because I'm not, I get shit done, mm -hmm. but I, I don't take, I don't take the shit, mm -hmm. right? I know a client so well, I am, am, am the frontline soldier in a client's life mm -hmm. that has a handgun and I'm going against fucking a blitzkrieg yeah. from Hitler's army, mm -hmm. okay? But... They know that I'm coming out alive, and they know that their passage is going to happen, mm -hmm. right? But in me knowing that, selflessly and selfishly, right, it's I'm going to be very fucking honest with you. Mm -hmm. I don't need to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Mm -hmm. You want to fucking let me go? I dare you, right? But it has happened. Right, but you want to let me go? I dare you, because my only intention is for your greatest good. Mm -hmm. That's it. If I'm, if I'm, that's noble. If I'm attached to something, I want your good, be. And like when you tell me, what about this idea? And my friends told me this, and my girlfriends told me, why aren't I here? Right? Or why am I on this? I'll tell you because you haven't got there yet, dog. Work your bitch ass off. Right? Mm -hmm. You want to be on this fucking platform? You want to be on that? Right? And I was having a convo with my boy at lunch today about this shit. It's like so many people start coming in out of the woodworks and there's so much noise. You want to bring me the noise? I'll address it with you and I won't feel perturbed. I won't feel offended by it, nor will I feel threatened by it. Mm -hmm. I will do everything to make sure that everything in your world is great, but I will not, I will not become somebody else just to appease you. Mm -hmm. You want to leave, this is the environment you know you're in. You want to leave that, you leave that. You want somebody to fluff you and blow on, like, blow on my arm. You know I like that. I'd be like, who the fuck do you think I am? Go get somebody to blow on your arm. You got enough money. Go pay somebody to blow on your arm. That's not going to be me. Mm -hmm. You got me fucked up, right? But in this world, there's a big, in the entertainment world especially, there's a big divide in that. You know what I'm saying? What was a driver for you there, man? Like, it's like knowing, like, I know we can't say what the secret sauce was mm -hmm. in, 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 in accumulating these clients and being a part, like, because, like, th yes, there are, are guys that are the, 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 the grit and the grind guys, mm -hmm. and then there are some guys that are the charisma and, and, and the vision guys, mm -hmm. right? But 
you seem to have both abilities in working with these personalities, especially on such a high level. Mm-hmm. What do you think it, you had there in reflection? Right, this isn't like work hard, be persistent. But yeah, in, like what are some in, in reflection of that? What do you think separated you at that time from your competition? And allowed you to be that seminal figure for them. There's something that really stands out for me that that continues to be something I'm always working on. It's one of my top things I strive for now. We're all self-involved to some extent. It's human nature. You wake up, you know how you're feeling. If you have a headache, your headache's the first thing you think about. You don't think about world hunger. Yeah. You think about your headache. You don't but, think about Aleppo right now. Yeah. But the thing that I've always focused on is taking myself out of it. Mm. In, what, in what regard? Almost every regard. So, for instance, from the very beginning is listening to the client. It doesn't matter what I want them to do. It doesn't matter what I'm thinking. Listen to the client. So you understand, what does this client want? How does this client think? think. How do they feel? Why do they feel? Absolutely. What motivates them? And the more that you understand where they're coming from and take yourself out of it, the more you can help. And, and, and you know, the gardening metaphor was a really specific one that I use. You know, uh, a buddy. I love it, by the way. I saw that. Kind. I love it. A buddy of mine, not me, but a buddy of mine um, practices bonsai trees. There's an art to bonsai trees. Mm-hmm. I feel like Mr. Miyagi is like in our yeah, it's like the way right you now. cut it and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and part of the art, and I don't know the, the specific traditional words for it, part of the art is this idea that on the one hand, you could just take a bonsai tree and like cut it how you want it to be your shape, but that's not part of the art of bonsai. Or you could just let it grow wild. That's also not part of the art. The idea of it is that the tree has its own way that the soul of the tree is trying to express. It's got its own Mm. highest beauty. And you shouldn't ever try to change that. You don't try to change the tree into something else. At the same time, in order to be its most beautiful self, it does need some support and some guidance and some help. And so every cut you make is not you forcing it to be something other than it is, but helping to expose its own true and actual beauty. You can't force it to your will, but you can help guide it. I never know how to express, there should be a word for that, but that's a big part of being an agent of like being able to hear and understand and take yourself out of it. So rather than push back against someone, you can help guide their flow toward where it's going to be. Most you know, beautiful. what's crazy. And uh, what makes me appreciate that so much more is I've, uh, I know a few, a few like agents, mm-hmm. right. And even aspiring agents, nobody that I've come across to date has ever been able to eloquate it that way. I, I actually see that more in management, mm-hmm. right? Because you have the managers that are considered the glorified babysitters, but that are literally, Involved in your whole life. Yeah, that's right. And you have the agents that are, you know, for the the lack of a better word but, or the lack of a better concept, like the agents are literally pure procuring employment for you and, and doing contracts. But agents generally, like, have that fucking private, that, that, that 
eye banking and that, uh, what's it called? Mergers and acquisition mentality. Mm-hmm. We have to deal, we're going to pound it down. But to see you have that mentality as an agent, which I also look back and think, damn, like this is maybe what Giselle was talking about of like this system would kill your, your spirit, right? But to see you having one of the few, and I'm not saying the only, but one of the few views that way makes sense as to how you were able to tend to your garden, mm-hmm. right? What, with that being said, what made you want to leave that garden? Well, I'll say at the outset, I actually never wanted to leave. Okay. It was uh, one of the oh, most. What made you leave the that's garden? Fair. It was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life, one of the most supportive um, organizations. And the people I worked with, I felt really honored. I remember um, in the last couple of years of me working there, I really was making a big push to like switch gears and step up another level. There were a couple of uh, bigger clients I was working with. Uh, Will Smith was one. I'd been brought on the Will Smith team. I was leading all the effort on his production company. Got it. Uh, and working Overbrook, with, yeah. Yeah, Overbrook. Overbrook yeah. And it. working with him as an actor. And he was inspiring. <laughs> He's Just, unbelievable. He's unbelievable. And I felt very fortunate. And J.J. Abrams was another. I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't interact with J.J. Uh, uh, as personally, but I was. Spielberg. Hold on. Yeah. Forgive my, this is me being like on the corner like, no. Spielberg, Abrams. Spike Lee, Will Smith. Like, these are juggernauts, B. I was very fortunate. Of course you were. And I really wanted to try to deepen. I thought there were two opportunities. I thought on on Will Smith, there's a big opportunity. I'm one of the few people in that day-to-day flow of his world and him and so forth at the agency. Um, And with J.J., I'm not as core, but I was the person, as you were saying, orchestrating all like the big departmental meetings and I have access to him and I'm talking to him and the guy that runs his company. Um, and I remember like, I thought like, how can I distinguish myself? Because there's lots of agents that have a good script, right? How, yeah. can I, how can I matter more? How can you become a dolphin in the sea of sharks over there? Yeah. And one of the things I was thinking is, well, I, I spent all the time in iBanking. Can I make this make any sense? Like, is there some, can I bring a business acumen to bear that, that somehow augments this idea of like, I read a script, it's good, here's the storyline? Yeah. And that became part of what I would be talking to either of them about. Mm-hmm. About like, you know, I remember, you know, I was saying like, Dr. Dre, look at where he is. You know, that's not because of his music career, not directly. <coughs> Dr. Dre's biggest financial success by far, was in building a business around himself. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And there shout were a lot. Out to, of, shout out to Will I Am with that. Too, shout out to Will he, I Am. He, was, he, he got a, a piece of that. Plug of he that. was. Absolutely. He was. Jimmy, I see it. Jimmy, yep. it's going here, Jimmy. Yeah. And not only was it spark, but I, they brought me into that signing meeting when no they signed Will I Am, and he was talking about it, and that was part of what clicked for me. Is like Will I Am was like, look, I just got a little bitty, bitty, bitty yeah. piece of beats. And still, when I and this is before they've sold that, yeah. and when I get that beach check yeah, compared you know. to my hey. music check, I uh, realize where the world is. The little B will change to a capital mm-hmm. B, and it'll, it'll, a piece of that will still be good. Yeah. Exactly. And I remember thinking, 
All right. That's if I can find. So I started meeting with some of the leaders in business here in LA and investments. And I thought if I can somehow bring some of these major clients an opportunity at that level or even bigger, I thought. That's a difference maker. Mm. And as I both start meeting with business people and I have this refrain of like, you've got to be business. You need enterprise value, equity. Like this started to be something I kept pitching. Eventually I like heard myself pitching it. You need to have equity. You need (laughs) enterprise value. And I think CA is like the best agency in the world. And I love being an agent. But the nature of a mature company like that you're not breaking into the into the Equity into Willy side. Wonka's elevator and and right. going off. Yeah, and so I started to hear my and I started like basically drinking my own Kool Aid of yeah, like I should do so. Like it would be smart to do something mm. for like, me at least with like my two X again. Yeah, <laughs> of like what if I could own be an owner because like I remember one of the expressions I used with one of the clients was like you need to be an owner, not a player. Mm. And then you heard yourself like, yeah. don't just be a player that gets a big contract, own the fucking team and yeah. the stadium. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. like that. And then I heard like, yeah, owner, not a player. And the property. On yeah. The all that shit. And, and the fucking playing. development around it. Like own LA live. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that's how I was thinking. Straight yeah. up. And I was like, oh shit, I need to be an owner, not a player. And like, again, that's like, you know, she was the best team in the world to play for. But I thought like, is there something that I can do that I can be the primary owner of and build something that I'm the entrepreneur, the lead entrepreneur? Yeah. And and that was, I think, the, the, the change. Wow. And so it was sad to leave and it was, it was a hard decision to come to. How did that, how, how, how did even leaving become an option? Was it brewing? Was an opportunity presented itself? What what made leaving even become a thought? Because like, yes, you, you, look, the owner thought is great and all of these things, but you of all people know, you're very happy to work yeah. there. No, yeah, you're, no. You were a it franchise felt, player. It felt stable also. Yeah, and you, but you were stable, but you were a franchise player. What came about that even made that the thought was there, but made it, made there be a semblance of a reality to your piece of whether it was a majority or minority stake, yeah. right? I, like, I think probably two things. One is this idea of like, look, I've, you know, I've switched. I went to law school. I did banking. I did this. Like, I got to... Like, I ain't gonna live forever. I'm not a vampire. Like, yeah, you know, I've got to like. Yeah, life yeah. is short, and if I, I, I wait, either, you're not Blade reincarnated. No, I am not Blade. Okay, so I, I either have to like make this my thing yeah. long term and settle in and know that like I'm gonna be a player for the greatest team in the world, but it's like not my team and I don't own it. Or if I'm gonna do something, like I don't have an infinite amount of time. Mm. So that was a big part of it. And the other part is... How I, old were you at that juncture? I don't know. 40, maybe. Okay. Maybe I'd right hit, okay. maybe a right hit 40. I just, I just yeah. wanted to kind of understand. I, yeah. I wanted to... Like, fuck the age shit. I just wanted to understand at what juncture in life yeah. was that, okay, next level. Correct. Right? Because a lot of people talk about fail quick in your 20s, right? 
30s is where you start putting it together. Yeah. 40s is where you start build, yeah. really big body building, yeah. right? And like for like for me, it's like I talk with a lot of a, a lot of elder, like you know, my my stepfather, my father, like a lot of older men in yeah. my, in, in my family, and just that I care about. And like what I always get is 30s is your golden years, yeah, right. But then also like I was watching some click. Fuck, what's the founder of Alibaba's name? Fred Ma, Frank Ma, uh, something Ma. Rich as fuck, something rich, rich, rich as shit. Yeah, but but yeah. albeit regardless of his presentation, he was really talking about a point of like failing uncontrollably in your 20s, finding it, which a lot of us still don't do, right? And then 30s is when you all put it together. Yeah. And then 40s is when it really all makes sense and you're in positions to really yeah. build bigger. So that's why 40 was that, that around 40 was that time period where it was... It just felt to me like like it's time. Mm, and then respect. On the, and on the other hand, like low-key... I had started this little Instagram thing Ooh. with a partner of mine. Talk and, to us. And and somehow like it was getting a follower or two and it was getting buzzed a little bit. And somehow that was growing. And then it grew to a point and then we were like, well, let's try it out. Like, what if we did something like this on Snapchat? So hold on. Hold, and, bef yeah. before, before I'm sorry. We, I'm be sorry. No, because uh, yeah. no, you put an icing yeah. on a cake already. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm My talking bad. about, I'm talking talking about, about cake. what type of icing. All right. Right. What what was this uh, little thing on Instagram that you were doing, and what was compelling? Like, was it compelling, or what was it like? Let me just throw something out. Or do you did you see a void in this ecosystem, or did you see an opportunity in this ecosystem? What what was that seed, if you will? It's a really good question. The initial seed fell in my lap. Mm. A good friend of a mine, great, uh, but 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 a pro, but a prolific gardener mm -hmm. will have that happen yeah. from time to time. A friend of mine that was friends since I was in the mailroom asked if she could use my house. I had this little house in Lower Canyon that people liked uh, when when I threw pool parties, and she asked if she could use it. She was like, "Hey, I want to do a photo shoot. Can I use your house?" Mm. And I said, "Look, I'm never at the house anyway. I'm always working. You can use it anytime you want." And so she did some photo shoot at my house. I didn't know much of it. She used it again. I didn't know much of it. And we went out to dinner, and she had called this thing she was doing arsenic. Mm. And I was like, oh, how's your arsenic thing going with your shoots? And the waitress overheard us talking. And the waitress like, oh, my God, you're arsenic? Shut no the way. fuck up! And understand, <laughs> understand that at this time, there was no Instagram account, no Snapchat account, no website. It was just this one woman, my friend, who just wanted to have an outlet, which is part of where the gardening idea came from. She came from, like, she was like, you know, some housewives garden. I'd just rather, like, produce a shoot. Did she dub yeah. you the gardener? No. Okay. She used that word, guard, got it, got you know, it. some people like to garden. So it's it. part of what put I'm it in my I'm digging, head. baby. You know no, no, you're good. And it was this weird thing. Like, how did something like that with no distribution, no outlet, how is it generating a buzz? And she, my friend, Amanda, who's the co-founder of Arsenic, got really geeked up about like, oh my God, everyone knows about, we should start a magazine. And I'm like, Amanda, that's the stupidest idea. In the world. <laughs> I'm like, I, I love you, but the magazine business is 
dead. dead. Yeah, the, a magazine? Dead. dead. Yeah. Dead. Like a hard copy magazine? Yeah, that's what she was thinking. You geeked up here and then you took it to print? And Are you trying to die? I don't know. And she said, well, tell you what. I'm going to go start a magazine. <laughs> you can either explain to me why the thing that I'm pouring my heart and soul into is so stupid and won't work. Mm, that's brilliant. Or you can find a way to help me. Oh. And I'm like, oh. And that's just how she is. She's like this badass woman. She races. She's a woman. She races formula cars. She did the Gumball 3000. She's just incredible, incredible. She's quick, like, quick side. Yeah, sidebar. Did y'all first meet at, in the mailroom? Was no, that first she wasn't in the mailroom. I was in the mailroom, and she was an independent film producer. And Got so it. we Go met on. during Perfect. that stage I just want to life. see where. No, you're good. And so I went away, and I thought about it a little bit. I thought about why she was getting buzz. And the primary reason she was getting buzz is because that a lot of um, these shoots that were happening were kind of controlled by men. And she was like this champion of the women and empowering yeah. the women. Like it's their images people care about. So why can't they be in a position of power? She was the most thuggish spice girl you've yeah, never she's met. Thuggish as fuck. Um, and so that was interesting. Like empowerment kind of stuck with me. And I remembered my mom talking about everyone having a voice and that kind of stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And then the accumulation well, things started to come together, and that's mm. what I'm saying. That I, you wouldn't, that's I wouldn't have connected that connector, Anoush. <laughs> and then I thought a little bit about some of the frustration I had from seeing the inner workings of the film business. I'll give you just an example. I'm not going to pick on any particular person no, or sure. company, not at all. but I used to, from broke out of the, you know, not in LA, didn't know how it worked. I used to read these magazine articles yeah. and they have them about everything. The 20 hottest restaurants in LA, yep. the 50 yeah. hottest women in we become, we become entertainment. Right, right. And I believed them like they were real. Wow. I'm like, oh, those are the 20 hottest yeah. restaurants. When I'm first to LA, I need to be able to eat. Like that's yeah. what these, that's where I'm eating. Yeah. Yep. These are the hundred sexiest women. I need to be dating one of those. Like I just, I got it. And you get into the business, you understand publicists, and horse trading, and just because something's on that list doesn't even mean. Yeah, uh, it means they got the plug. Of course, yeah, it means they got the plug. Yeah, and I remember being like, "Well, this is all bullshit. Like, what if you could have some shit that's actually real? Mm. What if you could have something where the people themselves get to participate and determine what it is? Like, we've got this advantage now because everyone's got a phone and get social media and it's accessible. So, and now I will not pick on someone, but but point out another company maxim yeah was that was huge at a point bro it was huge at a point and amanda was getting some comparisons and people were saying you're what maxim should have been Ooh. and no offense to maxim but that just that was a yeah, thing at the time. yeah, yeah. and i remember when i was first in the mailroom in the maxim hot 100 party that's the only place in what i wanted to be i, yeah, I got that ticket Woo! Yeah. and i just remember thinking you were cheers in Jesse Torero. Just yeah. like, we here, baby. Mama, we made it. <laughs> but, but I remember thinking like that whole idea, it's every media company. So I'm not picking a max. The whole idea yeah. like doesn't make sense. And here's what I mean by that. I said to Amanda, what if we change the game? What There's no we, interaction with print. What if we change the concept of what a magazine is? Maxim has the Hot 100. Again, not picking a Maxim. This is every media company. Fuck Maxim. What do they know in particular about who the 100 sexiest people are? Why are they putting their own voice above the voice of the people? What if you could say the to people. your audience, forget about Maxim, forget about what we think. Who do you think the 100 most beautiful women are? And by the way, it could be you. 
You don't have to be represented in elite models. You don't have to walk a runway in Milan. Anyone can be beautiful. You're telling me I could be a model? You could. You guys submit. You guys vote. This will be your magazine. We're just here to help you run it. Mm. And that just like came to me. And I went to Amanda. He ran away. He didn't like it. He ran away. And and I just pitched that to Amanda. And she loved the idea. And that was like awesome. just this kernel of, a, of an idea. It's interesting because it plays back to... Um, I mean, you're seeing all the qualities of you come together, you know, seeing this opportunity, thinking about, fuck that. What do you guys want? Kind of like how yeah. you viewed clients, right? What do mm-hmm. you, what do you want? We're just here to help that. Yes. We're here to add value to that. Yes. Now coming from a professional career now into like biz, starting a business, mm-hmm. very, very difficult. What were some of those challenges organically growing that? So and focusing on the audience and the participation, because that's such a key component here. How'd you get people to onboard? Because like, when you say, why does Maxim's 100 matter? Mm-hmm. I would tell you because it's Maxim. They have a brand that's mm-hmm. credibility, trustworthy. I know when I get a Maxim, I see it in my mind. I see the Maxim magazine and it's a ton of hot women. Yeah. How are you going to get people to now buy into this and really... And build that credibility in that way. It's a really good question. I think I have to think about it in a couple of ways. At the time, first of all, we thought any of the big businesses didn't have credibility because they're kind of bought and paid for. The only way you can have credibility is to come from the outside. And so yeah. that was one thing from the from jump. The other thing that was interesting is I hadn't even I wasn't leaving CIA. This was just like low key, this idea in my head. Find, you want me to find a way that I got excited the, about. Yeah, that's all. I was just like, passion like yeah, like Amanda was saying, magazine. I said, that's stupid. She's like, well, how would you help? I'm like, well, here's what I, and I said these words, like, look, I ain't leaving CA, but if I were, like, here's the thing I would do. If I, if I were going to start a magazine, I would do it like this. I would crowdsource it. But I wasn't leaving. So there's no pressure. So I didn't worry about it. I was just like, what would be, do- what would be dope? And how would I do it? And I could think in a really idealist, idealist way with nothing to lose. Yep, back to that. Yeah. Um, and then I remember I was like, well, let's just start an Instagram account. That's where, you know, this whole ethos is for young people. Like my mom probably want, like my mom reads Vogue. And so for her, Anna Wintour saying, these are the seven must have looks for spring. Like she Makes wants sense. authority Absolutely. to be able to tell her what's exactly. what. That generation wants that. I said, young people don't. They want to have their own voice. Yep. So anyway, young people seem like they're on Instagram. So we're like, let's start an Instagram. But they didn't have any followers. You guys know how Instagram works. We didn't have shit for followers. And so um, at first I did this. um, It's called growth hacking technique. Anytime someone would ask me for a favor at CIA, like, you know, people like, oh, you know, my friend's not in the business where you read his script. Yeah, I'll do that. Hey, my friend Amanda has a magazine. Oh, you're a thug, though. Will you go follow her Instagram? And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, no, I just did it. And I'd call Amanda and be like, yo, did Sarah just follow the Instagram? She'd be like, no, I don't see you, Sarah. I'm like, are you sure you did it already? Oh, I meant I was going to do it when I get home. <laughs> All right, well, call me when you've actually done it, and then I'll read that script for your friend. Lit. And so that was like the first 30 wow. followers. And then I was like, well, Amanda, like, I always throw these pool parties people like. I'm like, why don't I throw a pool party and then make it a maximum, or excuse me, maximum, uh, arsenic pool party for you? 
And I say for you, because I was very low key, like yeah. having a very buttoned down you professional can, you career. You cannot be a part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was super low key. Uh, we did that. And so I walked around at the party. And I was like, yo, yo, here, hand me your phone. You have Instagram? Oh, here. Wow. Boom, boom. All right, you're following That's Arsenic incredible. now. And that got us like the first 200 people. And then I think it started to spread a little bit just because of the idea that like, I mean, I would just kind of sit there and I would be like, yo, your shit is dope. You should submit to Arsenic. Mm. And I would just like go out and reach out to people organically. And then the idea is like when people started to submit, the way you would submit is you'd post on your Instagram, you'd reference Arsenic in your post. All of your people would see that you'd done it. So some of them would be like, huh, what do you mean you submitted to Arsenic? And it just started to spiral. It started to grow in a way that was really significant. And very quickly, we were bigger than Maxim. The thing that we had pointed out as like the um, the juggernaut, yeah. we, we were very quickly bigger than them on Instagram. Really? In terms of just followers? So it, it's, did it spread just like wildfire? People started catching on? It, there were a couple phases. It, it spread pretty quickly to maybe, I don't know, a thousand followers. Mm -hmm. And then I remember the most profound thing happened. I was at work at CAA and Amanda called me. And I'm like, what's going on? She's like, well, I, I just uh, interviewed someone. I'm like, what do you mean interviewed someone? We don't have any money for this thing. And she's like, well, someone reached out on the Instagram and said they wanted to come work for us. So I sat down with her. I met with her for an hour. She's amazing. And at the end of it, I'm like, look, I'd love to hire you, but you have to understand like, like there's nothing to come work for. Like we don't have a bank account. We're not incorporated. We're just doing this shit because we love it. Sure. And this woman said to her, like, oh, no, no, I don't want to get paid. I just want to be a part of what you're doing. Wow. It's for the people, by the people. I love it. And I shout can't out to, Shout out to FUBU, though. Shout out to FUBU. I feel you. And I couldn't even, it took me a minute to process that because I understand, like, as a guy that had taken, I'd gone to law school because the US News World Report median starting salary, who had taken a job because I'm like, it was a marker. And I'm like, wait, homegirl wants to just come work with you for free as a contributor? What am I missing? Was that, like, was yeah. that a thing? And she did. And then another woman came to work with Amanda for free. And then another one. And it grew quickly to be like 10 contributors oh, wow. all volunteering their time. And when I was around that energy of these people that almost like imagine like some idea. I know politics isn't always idealistic anymore but imagine like some like movement or idealistic it's like some john f kennedy type people are like just volunteering just want to be a part of it and being around that energy was contagious mm -hmm. and then i remember um looking up and our instagram was bigger than vice wow and it was three times as big as maxim that's incredible wow. and the vice thing was interesting. and this is all on unpaid talent like yeah unpaid everything Did, unpaid yeah. everything Unpaid everything. There's no money. There was no money. There was nothing. And, that, and then I did some research and I looked up Vice um, and I saw their valuation. And as it turns out, Vice is worth a lot of money. Yeah. And yeah. I, I uh, at the time, I think it was worth $1.5 billion. And I looked to a man, I'm like, I know this thing we've been doing is like, cool. But do you think there's maybe a business here? Because <laughs> Vice is like this digital millennial brand. And I don't know where millennials are in digital anything more than Instagram. And how is our Instagram twice as strong as theirs? Like maybe wow. there's something here. And that's when I started to like think about it. And we started to get calls. The founder of Elite Daily called us. Some, some. I remember the head of M and A at News Corp called us. Wow. Um, and then we started on Snapchat. 
And because of CAA, mm-hmm. it was both, I, this is a book I love called The Obstacle is the Way. Um, and it's this idea that like, when you're faced with an obstacle, you can perceive it as a bad thing. But if you try to erase that from your brain and just say, okay, it, it just is a thing. How can I use it to my advantage or make a good out the of it? The Obstacle is the Way. Yeah, it's a powerful book. Um, and my point is, when we started on Snapchat, it started to grow really fast. We would Snapchat the photo shoots, like behind the scenes of the photo shoots. And the problem was we would do it like on a Saturday and a Sunday during the weekend while I didn't have to work. Yeah. But then I had to go work on Monday. And unlike Instagram, like that shit disappears in 24 hours on yeah. Snapchat. And you can't like just at, you know, you can't just like screenshot something and repost it. And so I was like, fuck, we're fucked. How do we keep the Snapchat going? It's a big opportunity. And so on that Sunday at the shoot, I looked at one of the models and I'm like, will you do me a favor? Will you take our Snapchat tomorrow? We, we feel like we need to have some content to keep going because people are digging wow. it. But I got to go to work. Like I have a job. I job. feel you. And uh, she was like, well, what do you mean? Like, what do you want me to post? I can't take arsenic thing. I'm like, oh, well, just take it over. Now, Snapchat has since told us wow. that we're the... We're the first people the that first they ever takeover? saw do takeovers. Oh, love that. Oh, shit. And that changed the game. You, it wasn't thought out. It was just like, well, just take Just out of necessity. Then. Just like, necessity. oh. Yeah, just ne- survival. We need, to, we need to keep this going. Survival. Yeah. I didn't know how else to do it. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Oh, your life so. is repeating. And so then many within things. six weeks of doing that, we looked up at our viewership and then we we googled and got the nielsen ratings for cable stations and we realized that our viewership was on par with some cable stations wow and that's when and this, this has been a long-winded way because you were asking like how yeah, and no, why this, and when this, this, is, this, is, this is the Beautiful. way this is the way how, how and why and when you know that as that was happening i was understanding not only was there this time in my life but um, there was this opportunity and this idea of like, I don't know to say it's my baby, but like there's this thing that I love that I would just do to do that doesn't have any of the noise of any big company, yeah. any big company at a certain yeah. point, there's like some noise. It's, it's, sure. it's less pure sure. and it's kind of amazing. And so, and so that those are the factors that all came into play. And but and to be, in truth, by the time I left already, like, you know, the head of Eminent News Corp called, you know, there there's a couple of other folks who I won't name by name just yeah. to protect them. But like, Absolutely. you know, there's only six major media conglomerates. Yeah. We've met with two of the, you know, the heads of two of those now, <laughs> just intrigued by like how this phenomenon has happened. And so, so a bunch of things. By the time I left, though, we didn't have any money. So it was by, by standard means risky sure. and lacking stability. Sure. But the 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 you, you felt it. There was lightning. It's there. wild though because the thought leader and the action leader here mm-hmm. didn't know what the fuck they were getting into. It's not like y'all set out and been like, no. we could literally take over all of these things. Yeah. We could be digital juggernauts. These guys just aren't seeing it. You're right. It literally was just like it happened organically. Like, Let me help you get it this like, better. Then let me tell you why your idea sucks. And then, uh, or why that thought sucks, not idea, but that thought of how to make it, how to, the next step sucks, right? Let me try and figure this out. Then, uh, shit, I got a day, I got a job to fulfill. Can you just take this shit over then or yeah. something? I mean, yeah. that's... All, all of these happenstances... People use the word organic a lot, 
and usually it's not organic when they're saying it is. It's one of those things that it, it's why I use the gardening metaphor because it just grew. Like there was this one seed that Bro, this got is in the, the dirt, apple that and it hit just grew. Isaac Newton on the head, and that fucking Eve and Adam like were tussling over biting it. Well, this is something that just. Yeah, no, no, me, no I'm me. done. I finished. I saw you. I saw the look on your face. I'm done. No, I just I. <laughs> I love that. Um, it 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 comes from a place that you know people are, right now in the digital space are looking for the trick, right? You're mm-hmm. gonna say like, look online, and it's gonna tell you on Instagram, hey, every hour, like this many pictures of strangers, follow and then unfollow these people. Mm-hmm. Wait, because you can't reach the, you know. There's all these like tricks to get followers, and it becomes really fucking fake and body and yeah, spammy. That's right. And, but that's that's the norm, right? That's the the quote unquote formula of what you what people think they should do yeah but when you're working with something special and real and valuable like this it does come from that place of really dope content that's right and building it authentically versus Mm. not organically but authentically there has to be the people that are following you are buying into this there's a necessity and a desire from them you know and each one of those is so much more valuable than a thousand of the of the spam because right. it's not about the image. If you're trying to create those phenoms or those things that really do exponentially grow, it really starts with that first one you're to right. two hundred people. You're right. That's where the the nucleus. Now, is. just so we're not giving me too much credit, understand this: I didn't give a fuck. I, I had a you. job. I yeah, my job was getting better. Like some of the things that just started to click that were good. If I had been like out on the street and like trying to hustle and like I was going to somehow make my money from social media, maybe I wouldn't have had this because a few times actually you guys are making me think that I hadn't even thought about this before. But a lot of these major moments, I was like, well, I don't have anything to lose. We used to post shit like, look, you might not like it. Fuck it. Unfollow us. Like we would say fucking unfollow us if you don't like it. Straight up. Because we didn't give a fuck. Yeah. It was just a way of expressing. It's, I mean, it is a through line. No fear of failure. But it's the, it is the through line to your story here that, and it's, it's almost beyond like the no fear of failure. It's the no give a fuck. Yeah. Mm. It's it's just like, I, it's not even like, Failure is not even a part of this equation. You can't even fail. I'm not even, yeah. even going to yeah, talk right. about that. Who, who has uh, fucks to give? Yeah, here? Uh, no, like, you're right. Like, it's not, it's not even like doing it. Even if it hadn't worked, I would have been like, oh, I failed. I would have been like, oh, like, you know, it's cool. Yeah, it, it failure didn't existed. Yeah. There would be like pressure, I'm still right? On seven big body projects, yeah. and they're going to get but, done. But you're right. But no, you're right. Because at the time, it wasn't like I was like, if this works out, I can't. No, we were just doing it for fun. Yeah, we were just doing it for fun. It's wild of what a juggernaut it's become. Yeah. Out of doing it for fun. Yeah. But like <laughs> the, the fact that like it became that just out of the element of the fun. Like naturally like there were things that went on, but like still like there was no pressure. Correct. It was not this is our livelihood, as Correct. you said. It was not, okay, guys, this is idea, Billy. Amanda. Business plan. What's going to be our yeah, execution yeah. No, strategy? We are, are we getting the trade marketing plan? Like, do we have this? Nope. No, none no. of that. We got to get our seed money. Like, none of it. None. None of you it. You know, and it's it's so interesting. I feel you. for real. You know, you, you know what I love. Like, um, yesterday with with Lorenzo. Yeah. And the simple things that's on on the table, and you said something that still stuck with, stuck with me throughout this. 
is you said to Anoush, you have a very evolved mind. I'm more simple. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's nothing to... Well, fuck it's you, a compliment. Bro. It's a compliment. It's a compliment. <laughs> anything, you have an evolved mind. It's why you know it's crazy. However, I don't feel that way, but still. Thank however, you so much. there's it, it proves the point that sometimes you can just keep things that simple. Yeah. You don't have to overthink. You don't have to put the unnecessary pressures or expectations. You can just be really simple and thoughtful and make something amazing. That's and I feel a lot of that just gets lost. Mm. in especially in now in the in the very entrepreneurial phase of this world yeah where it, it is about tech companies and it's about startups and you know there's such glamorous stories everyone's too. trying to sell for a billion dollars yeah. um it gets very lost and very messy mm-hmm. but that's why i think the opportunity is everyone's so full of shit He's and I'm mean on a personal level, I'm not trying to indict anyone, but like no. when you look out in the ecosystem. He said no. He said, no. Throw a couple of <laughs> no. no. Who? Who? No. What's their, what's their credit card? No, but I feel you. But so then if you get something real, it's like fucking gold. No, it, it, do, it does shine. It really does shine. Um, and I think. It's wild though, because like, yes, it was real. But like, what the fuck is really real about like that? That, that is merely a different way of distributing content. Right. I know what you're saying, but at the time we weren't like no, because exactly. if we had been like, no, exactly. you know, hey guys, it was, we have a no, different way to shoot in content. It was no. real, yeah. but it was like, let's show them what's real. Like we <laughs> yeah. went in with that, with that. Yeah, there was I'm, no definition yeah. in, in that world. There was no definition of what's real and depicting. No, yeah. it just truly was real. It was yeah. as simple as that. It's you guys were doing. It was this as real as it was just happening. Yeah, yeah. it's just happening. It wasn't overthought. You, it's like you can't overcomplicate this. Um, yeah, that's amazing, man. And I, I also feel with, you know, following your path here, that's how it's been every step of the way. You know, it doesn't seem like you've been overthinking over, like, complicating things. You know, it's these very simple principles, these very simple ways of doing things and not with tons of pressure. Now, not to say I'm sure you've been in high-pressure situations yeah, countless absolutely. times, but... It's more the state of mind, the state of your mind, to um, get into these situations and create those opportunities. Yeah, and and to me, you play to win. You don't play to avoid losing. You play <laughs> right. to win. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Let me ask you this now. Now, now, this is assuming now it's it's Billy the owner. Yeah. Right. Or one of the but, in the owning group. Yeah, co-founders, right? two of us. Yeah. <laughs> in knowing where you guys have come with it. And also assessing the infinite possibilities now, right? And and also this this world just growing so fast. Like Snapchat is a juggernaut. Insta- like Facebook tried to play it and give mm-hmm. it the three billy. Like th- you, you think a three billion cats were like, wait, what? You're not gonna take it? Even after IG snaps coming out and I, Instagram's going live and all this, naturally you you guys are just playing within mediums at this point. Mm-hmm. But Billy, the owner now. Mm-hmm. First of all, congratulations. That's very kind. Thank you. Right? That you've, you haven't made it to the box. You've created the box. Right? Where does Billy, the owner now, right? The gardener that literally owns the land in which he's been uh, tending to. Where do you see it going now for you? Not, not even, and, and like, arsenic is a part of this, right? But 
I feel like there's a bigger picture here of there's so much more to your story that's going to be had. There's so much life that you have to live. But like in terms of like just human arc, right? You've gotten to the you, you you've literally lived the life of janitor, like not janitor, something, but it, it, for for the sake of janitor. By the way, janitor, janitor was my life. No, but fuck even the janitor. I'm talking something different. You literally lived the life of janitor's son. Mm-hmm. that was working from age 10, that had the jobs, that did all these things, that had all the world against him, but not only was the janitor, not only did that janitor that was that happened to be the parent become upper management and go places, but again, taking it back to parents wanting their children to be better, mm-hmm. that's why I stopped the janitor there for symbolism mm-hmm. at upper management, mm-hmm. right? You're the son that's become the owner. Mm-hmm. Where does it go now for you? And what, what, are, what are your aspirations, not only in the business life, right? But what are the aspirations now? Because now, like, for you, it's been like, okay, now you have a piece of the ownership pie, and it's, like, a little more solidified in terms of now I have control of my full destiny. Yeah. Anything that I do, make or break, will be on me. Yeah. I have the onus of it. That's right. In terms of business and life in general, wh- where 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 do you want it to go now, or what? I, that, that's why for me it's like, what's next is such a fucking bullshit question. No, it's, it's, it's I hear. Where, where does where? You know what? I found it to the dreamer, right? My ode to the dreamer. Where does the dream go from now? Here's the dream. I look at it in the world, and I see that there is this unspoken elitism. Mm. I've seen it in media from middle to the highest ranks. And there's this idea that only the privileged few can be the arbiters (laughs) of what's what. Yeah. And I don't accept it. And, And so the dream is that we can create really the first time that people got to participate and be part of their media company mm. and have control of it alongside of everyone else. Mm. That that usually the way you think about media is the media company is over here on one side of the fence, the audience is over there on the other side of the fence, and we're going to like spoon feed you and you're going to fucking like it. Yeah. And we want to rip down the fucking fence and say, no, 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 you, we're all in this together. We're just one group. The crowd is the company. And if that happens, it doesn't just create a, a, a company that's interesting. I, I think if that happens, it changes the definition of what a media company is. And that's something that I get really inspired in thinking about. So impact, that, influence. Impact, influence, and particularly as it relates to like pushing that right back to people. Um, because I think that people... The true democracy, get played a little bit. People yeah. get played that they don't get, you know, because I've been in these meetings and people, oh, user generated content, people, you know, you really just need to be premium content, premium. Of course, of course. And I think there's this like, nah, like let people participate and have a voice and be, and be part of it. So that, that's kind of one part of it. And then the thing that kind of gets me most excited and marching toward that is, you know, We've actually, it's it's weird, like fairly quickly, <coughs> fairly quickly we went from like this little side personal passion 
that was kind of like kind of side chick status, yeah. if, if you <laughs> yeah. want to call it that. And we weren't, you know, I wasn't even acknowledging that it existed. She to, became the main though. To like, to, you know, blowing up and, you know, Playboy looked into buying us. And, you know, we've now taken on investors that include folks from Live Nation and Honest Company and all these major companies and VCs and the whole thing. And most of that being on like that, we've got like the strongest presence of any brand in the world on Snapchat built around something that's kind of like Maxim. And the thing that gets me most excited is what, what I think a lot of people don't know is if you look over the past several weeks, we've now got a music culture channel that uh, is one of the biggest things in the world on Snapchat. And that's just around kind of music artists, the lifestyle around them. It's a very, though I think related, different from the from haters that want to throw shade around like, oh yeah, you're doing well, but it's just because you have Maxim hot girls running around. Uh, we've got an events channel that we launched that also has really significant viewership, one of the biggest things on Snapchat. We have another lifestyle thing we've launched. And so this idea that these things that are totally, I mean, in a way they, they connect because it's still, all of them have an arsenic perspective. It's like counterculture, give no fucks, keeping it real vibe. Yeah, yeah. But but their verticals <laughs> content-wise that are very different, that's inspiring to me because like, this sounds arrogant again, so forgive me, but like, I just feel at this point we could just go do anything because mm. the idea that people want something that's real that they can actually participate in and not just be told shut the fuck up and, and listen and to eat, us and listen to us. I think that shit applies to everything. Absolutely. And so that's what's got me most inspired right now. Absolutely. I literally. This has been so incredible for me. It's been great for me too. Um, it's 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 an absolute honor. Um. And it's wild because just knowing the semblance of your story, <clears throat> but also being able to be in this position where we get to like go there. There's so much within it that that really, that really makes me just so appreciative of you as a person. Thank you. Because you being here in this world is allowing so many people to experience digital media and content and just life differently. And I'm sure that there's been so many people that you've impacted along the way. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for giving us this time. Thank you. Man. Thank you for Truly having me. Truly, thank you. It's, for real. It's an incredible story. You know, and I think it's, uh, it speaks to a lot of people. I think it relates to a lot of people and very much for the times of, uh, of what's going on now. And one thing you said too was that it's never too late to do something, mm -hmm. you know? And that doesn't have to necessarily apply to age. It's just you don't have to feel stuck in something. That's right. And there is always another opportunity that you can create. And I think it's awesome. I think what you're doing is really awesome. So thank you, man. Seriously. This is incredible, man. Thanks like, for having me. Wild. Shall we? Let's do this. Mama! We, we made, made it!